You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Station One listeners. Welcome to another episode. This time out, we are talking about TV pilots. You know, the good, the bad. You know, most of what we're going to be talking about is going to be the good because these made it into TV series. And, you know, how different were they from the series that we know and love today? Or were they pretty much, you know, ordered and we this was just became the first episode? It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. But, you know, when we talk about first episodes, we don't talk about the first episode of Earth Station 1 because that's a pilot that will be lost to time if we really have to say it. Probably somebody has it on recorded somewhere. But, you know, we don't talk about that anymore. But, you know, speaking of, you know, pilots, this man had a pilot at one point of a podcast he was going to do that is going to someday pop up here on the ESO Network. Let's welcome Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. Right, Mike? A pilot? Possibly? Sure, sure. Hey, you know why the original pilot for Earth Station One is forgettable is because it didn't have me. You were not even a glitter in my eye at that no, point. No, I didn't even join till 17. Like 17 episodes after that. So it took you a while to get it right. Yeah, but... you, you were the seven of nine for <laughs> Earth Station One. <laughs> wow. Uh, sure. I'll uh, I'll go with that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, or that, or you could say you're the Jimmy McCribbin, or you could say... <laughs> That's a big difference there, buddy. Oh, I know. Very big difference. But yeah, and it's been a blast ever since. So, you know, actually, you're coming up right now on your 11th anniversary. Oh, about. yeah, I guess it would be, because, yeah, we're getting close, because it was in August, right? Or end of end, July or something End of like July, that. I think, was yeah. when you joined the show. And, you know, it's and it's been pretty much crazy fun ever since hey man you know and we we keep having fun with these shows and uh as long as we do i'll keep i'll keep showing up it's gonna be very interesting to see and you know i'm enjoying doing the shows and each week is different and that's what's great and we've got a fantastic lineup for you tonight i think you'll be very happy with the geek seat segment and then we have the we're gonna be talking about pilots so how bad can it be and we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Please let us know how you guys are doing. Write us at feedback at earthstation1.com. Please let us know how you're doing. And, you know, if you haven't subscribed or if you're a first-time listener, welcome. We Thank you for being here. And, you know, we could be found anywhere fine podcasts are found. Obviously, you're listening to us somewhere, so you're listening to us on one of the media players out there. But, yeah, all you have to do is type Earth Station 1, and we are there. And if you get a chance, please rate us. Five stars would be wonderful. And, you know, feedback as, you know, and leave reviews. Can't say that enough. But please, please, please check us out. We definitely would appreciate it. Of course, we also have a Patreon, as we like to always say. Our Patreons just got a brand new episode of ESO Board Silly, and it's a direct podcast only exclusive to our patrons. And you too can get, you know, shows like Earth Station One, Earth Station Who, The Dragon Con Report, uh, two days early before the rest of the world. And, you know, it's pretty awesome that you get that as a little bit of a bonus and as a thank you. And, you know, you get different levels and you get different, you know, 
rewards for being at the different levels. It's pretty cool. But you could do it for as little as a dollar a month. And we would have to say thank you to everyone out there who has been doing it. We got 28 uh, patrons. And you know what? Thank you, each one of you, from the bottom of our hearts. We do appreciate it. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. Also, a big shout out to our friends at Tifosi Optical. Tifosi Optical has been having some great summer specials on sunglasses. It is high time for sunglasses. It is hot. It is sticky in a lot of places or just really, really hot in parts of the country that aren't even used to it. But Tifosi Optics has you covered to block that evil sun. You can actually, you know, get a really cool pair of sunglasses. Or if you're more of an inside type of person, you can get either gamer glasses or blue light blocking glasses just to help you too at Tifosi Optics. They also have sports glasses and safety goggles. You name it, Tifosi Optics has it. And all you have to do is go to tifosioptics.com and put in the coupon code EarthStation1. And if you do that, you get 10% off your order. Not just one pair of glasses, but your whole order. Go ahead. Go to tifosioptics.com. And now we're here with new friend of the show, John Vorhaus. Welcome to EarthStation1, sir. Thank you. I like that intro, new friend of the show. That's, I mean, on the face of it, it's friendly, but it's super friendly. It's like, oh, you're part of the family now. Oh, Let's play. Well, yeah, I hate to tell you, but yes, you are now part of the family. You are, oh, you are one of, one of us. us. One of us. <laughs> one of us. I, say, I misinterpreted it. Yes. Absolutely. Well, welcome to the station, sir. Uh, for those people who may not be familiar with us, tell us a little bit about what you do. Wow. Uh, well, people who know me probably know me from my book, The Comic Toolbox, How to Be Funny Even If You're Not. Wrote it about a quarter of a century ago, and I'm still dining out on it big time. A lot of books in that area. I've written a lot of books on how to write, how to write comedy, creativity, and so on. Also picked up 10 books on poker somewhere along the way. Uh, I am a budding artist, also an educational consultant. I help people get into top 10 graduate schools, um, uh, top 10 business school programs. So that's what I do at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's that's sizable. That's sizable. And and yeah, looking at uh, a lot of the other things you've done, it yeah, you've, you've you've dabbled in just about a little bit of everything huh, over the years. Yeah, a long time ago, I came up with a business model for myself. It's this: I walk down the beach, I pick up everything I find, I turn it into a party hat. <laughs> and and and, then, and that's and that's to cover our heads from the sun, right? Well, yeah, but also it's to embrace what what is uh, presented to me on a metaphorical level. I'm walking down the beach, I'm picking up everything I find. What that really means is I'm looking for, pursuing, and accepting opportunities that come my way. A lot of those opportunities might be in areas that I don't have immediate expertise in, but if I'm interested in them, I go for it hard and let the expertise catch up to me later. That's just the way I like to be, and that's why I've done so many things in my career and continue to because I just I'm drawn to the new like a magpie is drawn to a shiny object. Mm, mm, very nice, very nice. Um, as far as uh, your comedic writing uh, of all kinds, how when did that start? Well, I've been writing. I've been I guess funny since actually since before I started writing. As I think about it, the first joke I know for sure I landed. I landed in my kindergarten Christmas pageant. I was Santa. By accident, I had picked up a black eye a couple of days earlier. So when I made my entrance, I gave the audience my right profile and then turned and gave them the shiner. And they lost it. 
<laughs> making, so, making smiles at a tragedy, I see. Well, I, 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 you know, just as I think about it, I am aware that I've always understood that what's going on in that comic moment is there's a thing that doesn't belong. That black eye doesn't belong. That's one thing. There's also an element of surprise that that uh, revealed to the audience that sense that everything is normal and then suddenly it's not anymore. That's also fundamental to comedy. And I mean, I'm saying this with kind of a sense of wonder because I teach this stuff. I teach comedy writing, sitcom writing, screenwriting, et cetera. But just now I'm realizing that the things that I've been teaching all along, I was kind of in possession of long before I even knew I was in possession of them. Hmm. Mm. The uh, I'm I'm curious too because you mentioned that you know that first instance that you can remember is is in front of a crowd so you have that connection with the audience right there. I know a lot of people who write uh, comedy or write other things and they're 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 writing for themselves as opposed to their audience and and, and with comedy I would imagine maybe that's at a disadvantage. All the work that we do in our creative practice, whether it's comedy writing or stand-up or whatever, it's problem-solving on some level. We're trying to figure out what problem are we trying to solve and how can we best solve it. So if the problem I'm trying to solve is I need to deliver a good five minutes on stage, then there's going to be a lot of writing time spent supporting that goal. I'm going to use the joke writing capabilities that exist in my head to give myself all the raw material I need to then turn around and be kind of a different person, collect that information, collect that material and present it to an audience. But some other writer might say, I'm only interested in generating it for myself and looking at it kind of by myself on my own. Mm -hmm. There, there is no requirement that your art have an audience but a lot of people like it. And for people who want it and they're frustrated that they don't have it, it's really worthwhile looking at how to help them close the gap between where they are in terms of audience acceptance and where they really want to be. And that's what I like to do. I like to help people solve problems like that. And, and I, I find this all fascinating, too. And, and you have a lot of experience writing a lot of uh, different uh, types of comedy because it, I would say that you know, it's a lot different being doing stand-up than doing um, a sitcom, than doing, you know, actual stage and doing, have been funny in like a novel or a prose uh, setting. I, I, and those are different skills, but you're still trying to get that joke across. You're still trying to make the, the reader, the audience member smile, right? And, and you know that some jokes work better when we hear them and other jokes work better when we see them. So what you just said about writing for sitcom and writing comic novels, something I've done a lot of both. Yes. The pleasure of writing the comic novel novels is that I can really let the comic moment breathe and I can create all kinds of interesting perspectives using the character's perspectives and the narrator's perspective to create clash of contexts, um, unexpected circumstances, inappropriate responses, all the funny stuff. There's a, a um, an abundance of opportunity for that. Sitcom is uh, a tightly constrained structure and there's not a lot of room for anything that's not directly on story and directly on joke. So what they have in common is they're both problems to be solved 
there are different problems requiring, requiring different solutions. But if I may mention, at a certain point in my career early on, I was writing for, maybe I was doing Married with Children, but mm-hmm. I was also writing a horror movie. And it seemed like, how can you be writing comedy and horror at the same time? That's when I really learned this idea. It's all just problem solving. I want to stimulate the reader by making him laugh in the comedy. I want to stimulate the reader by making her jump in the thriller, in the horror. Stimulate the audience. That's what I need to do in different ways. So I acquired the idea early on to be as versatile as possible, do as many different things as I could and figure out what I was using as tools that helped me in one place and then take them right over and use them in a new place over and over again. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. Uh, You mentioned married with children. I have to talk to you about married with children and your experience with that. Uh, That seemed like such a groundbreaking sitcom at the time because it was breaking certain rules. Um, Did you feel that way when you were working on the show? Well, first of all, I don't want to overstate my involvement with the show. I was a freelance writer. I wrote uh, an episode of Married with Children. I was present in the room, worked with the um, executive producers and the writing staff, but I don't want to, as I said, overrepresent what I was doing. Thank you. Thank you. The show itself uh, was a real uh, fortunate combination of circumstances. You'll remember, or maybe you won't remember, it was the time that the Fox Network was brand new. And the Fox network was trying to present itself as something other than the big three television networks. It was also at a time when there was a backlash building against the feel-good Thursday night NBC comedies of the 1980s. Family Ties, Cosby Show, Everybody Gets a Lesson, Everybody Gets a Happy Ending. That had created a, 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 a bitter taste in people's mouths. They wanted something to wash that away. Mm-hmm. So Fox is looking to be uh, branding to brand itself as rebellious and sitcoms are looking to find an antidote to treacle married with children finds a home on Fox when it would never find a home anywhere else and speaks directly to the let's get over this uh, feel good comedy need that the audience had at the time and success. And yet so many of those uh, episodes ended on a, on a feel good note, not granted the path to get there was very uh, unorthodox, but, uh, but I would imagine uh, because uh, another writing credit that you have here is uh, Charles in charge. I would imagine it's very different writing for those, uh, those two types of sitcoms. On, on the structural level, the stories are very much the same. Okay. Uh, um, In the, Here's the here's sitcom structure in a very simple sense. Using Charles as an example, I wrote an episode where Charles moved out of his house and into the dorms because he's mm-hmm. a college kid. Experiences dorm life, gets what doesn't like it, moves back home. So the story on a structural level is starts out at home, goes as far away from home as possible, returns home. That same structure works with Al Bundy. You know, he gets into a big fight with Peg and he moves out. Starts out at home, goes as far away away from home as possible then comes back home again. So structurally, they're the same. On the joke level, obviously Married with Children is far down the spectrum toward rough humor, uh, adult humor, and Charles in Charge is much further down the spectrum toward family humor. But that's just fine-tuning the joke and knowing what your audience needs. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, with married to children, it also says here an interesting note uh, on your bio says that you ran the writing staff for the Russian version of Married with Children. I, I got to ask, what was what was that about? Uh, now, see, in this case, I can claim all the status I want because it's true. <laughs> I spent two winters in Moscow running the writing staff of the Russian version of Married with Children. At that time, I was working for Sony Television Pictures International. They owned the format rights to Married with Children and sold that show all over the world. I worked with it in Russia and also in Bulgaria, but it's been in many, many, many different places. Basically, any place there's enough people who can speak one language to be profitable, they'll try and do a format conversion there. It had been so successful in Russia that by the time I got there, they'd already burned through all the original American episodes, and they needed brand new stories for the Russian characters. You'd recognize them. They look just like the Bundys. They sound just like the Bundys, even though they're speaking in Russian. But from the time I joined the show, the the challenge was to help the writers understand how to break a story, how to build a story, how to write a story outline, how to convert a story into script how to polish the script and make it funny. I don't speak Russian, so I can be really, really helpful in uh, a number of these steps, but that last step, how to polish it and make it funny to the Russian ear, at that point, I'm only being helpful if I have recruited and trained native Russian writers who have both the ear to know what's funny and the emotional integrity to make sure they're telling jokes that really are jokes and not just stuff they hope the audience will accept as jokes. Really, really interesting situation. Yeah, and quite a challenge, although it does sort of speak to the sort of universality of of humor and a lot of the things that no matter what I found paper, maybe it looks like, you know, we're completely different societies. We're not so different. Can I tell you that... um, Everywhere I go in the world, and I've traveled and and taught all over the world, everywhere I go, people say, that Al Bundy, he's just like us. It doesn't matter what country I'm in. There's something about him that makes people think the people here act like that all the time. So, yeah, it is completely universal, quite a a phenomenon. Amazing. Can I tell Uh, you another interesting Married with Children story? Of course. Absolutely. We love hearing this kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) No, we just want to talk about the weather, John. You know, it's... it's, Uh, No, no, no. We we, we did have him on the show to talk. (laughs) I was... Oh, you know what? Oh, I've got an even better... All right, I'll tell you this story, and then I'll tell you the next one. The next one will... Well, we'll see. We'll see if we can set it up. Anyway, um, in fact, I'm going to go straight to that one. I would rather tell you about the episode of Bewitched that almost got banned on Russian TV. Wow. Okay. Yes. Do tell. Okay. You remember Bewitched, right? Oh, yes. The uh, American situation comedy about uh, Darren Stevens, an advertising man, and Samantha Stevens, his witch wife. And she does this with her nose, go dinky, dinky, dink, and makes the magic happen. You remember. Yes. Now, we are all dating told, ourselves, but yes. <laughs> now, I told, you, I told you that Sony had me over there um, uh, working on Married with Children. But at a certain point, there was a pause in production, and I got moved over to Bewitched. At this point, Bewitched had not yet been touched at all for, um, uh, for um, uh, adaptation, which means they were just getting the process going, which works like this. You take the original American scripts. Now, remember, these are old scripts. These are from the 1960s. Mm -hmm. But they're property of Sony. 
Sony hands the scripts to Russian translators who do a rough translation of the script, hand it off to Russian writers. These are the people I'm working with, these Russian writers. I'm working with an interpreter because, like I said, I don't speak Russian. The writers then take the scripts and figure out what the story is and write a story outline, a new story outline for their characters in their world. You get me? You understand how this works? Mm -hmm. It's almost like reverse engineering a story out of a script. I bring this up in such detail because it's where the problem lies. Now, I have to tell you, at certain times, I found it rough going with Russian writers. I wasn't always sure that I could trust them because they would say to me, uh, they'd pitch me a joke and I'd say, I don't think that's funny. And they'd say, but it's funny in Russian. Of course, my Russian accent is terrible, (laughs) but but, uh, they'd say, but it's funny in Russian. And I was never sure whether it was funny and I just didn't get it or it was funny, but something got lost in translation or if it really wasn't funny and they were just trying to sell it past me. Because I'll be frank, that's something they would like to do. Sell it past you, do the least they could do to achieve their writing goals. Those people in that time, I'm not drawing generalizations. Um, There is a joke I'll insert here that goes like this. Not to generalize, but frickin' Russians. (laughs) That's awesome. That is funny as hell. Close parentheses. uh, Back to story. So I'm not sure I'm trusting my writers. When they come to me one day and they say, we cannot adapt this episode of Bewitched. I said, what do you mean? They said, it's too dirty. I said, ah, the episode of Bewitched in the script in your hand is too dirty. This is what you're telling me? Yeah, that's right. Uh, So it's it's got um, a lot, a lot of bad words in it, and we're not going to going to adapt the episode now you need to understand sony wants all this material adapted every episode is worth a certain amount of money they don't casually throw away stories just because they're difficult to tell certainly not in this case i said i don't think that's going to happen guys they said well we're not going to do this unless we get specific network approval because it really is obscene at this point i asked my interpreter to get involved i said won't you please read the russian translation of the original american script and see if you can figure out what the issue is. And she reported back to me, and it, it turned out it was something like this. The episode in question, a uh, new neighbor moves in next door to um, Darren and Samantha, and she's hot, and Darren is hot for her, and Samantha is jealous. That's the story. In the American version of the show, that character's name was Pleasure O'Reilly. A nice, gentle, you know, a little bit of tartness sort of joke. Appropriate to America in the 1960s. The Russian translator who did the first rough translation of the script took the liberty of translating that character's name as oral pleasure. Oh, my. (laughs) Well, okay. And so literally every time the character's name gets mentioned, it's a blowjob joke. Wow. I, t- I told those guys, I said, guys, I go back a ways. I grew up in America in the 1960s. Trust me, there were no blowjobs in America in the 1960s. <laughs> this wasn't that at all. We just have to change the character's name and we'll be fine. A simple solution, though. But And, uh, and what a delightful legacy because, as you can imagine, I've told that story once or twice. And so they really gave me a gift when when they gave me that when they gave me that story. That is awesome! Wow, now I'm going to look at Bewitched a whole different way. Oh yes, yes, yes. 
Aaron got around a little more than we thought. Mm. <laughs> but there's a thing, isn't it? You guys are geeks. You'll know. Oh, yeah. um, there's a thing. There's a. It's not a Reddit. It's Site 34 or something where fans submit graphic images of their favorite science fiction and fantasy heroes doing unspeakable unspeakable things to one another or in some cases themselves um i'd say i'm been familiar with it sure well i heard about it on a podcast that's my story (laughs) and i'm sticking to it podcasters are such a dirty lie Um, well, speaking of getting your geek on, Mike, I think that's a great segue to uh, the Geek CD. I think he's ready. Oh, I don't know about this. You know, he's he's done all this work. He's been, you know, out there for years and years and years. But the Geek Seat just takes a, t- a certain type of toughness for a person. And, you know, we'll have to see if John could do this. <laughs> I do not. I come with uh, – um, this, will, this will show exactly what I'm up against uh, isn't in gaming? Isn't there this thing where characters have strength values, something like that? Oh, of course, yeah. You know, like quickness, cleverness. Oh, yeah. I don't. That's even all D and D stuff. Yes, but, but my toughness is like one on a scale of whatever you got. So here we oh, go. Oh, I am just, ready. Just, just just break out the poker skills. Okay, he could bluff us through anything. Let's go. All right, John. What was your favorite geek out moment? Uh. Walking onto the Paramount lot to take a story meeting with Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh. Ooh. Wow. You said a lot of words there that yeah. any one of them by themselves would have geeked me out. <laughs> exactly. I think we all just went, huh? Really? Uh, uh, look, I grew up watching the original Star Trek. I am that old. And my experience of Star Trek was it disappeared. It was on the air for three years, and then there was never going to be Star Trek ever again as far as my mind understood it. And when Star Trek Next Generation came out, it was just kind of a gobstopper. You mean you can perpetuate, reinvent, and carry on? Well, that's good. By the time I got to Hollywood, they were doing Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and I was lucky to get a pitch meeting and had that sensation of going through that Paramount gate. They got my name on a pass, misspelled, of course, because they always misspelled my name. But still, I get the sensation of being a big shot as I swing into the studio and go into the pitch meeting. Now go ahead and ask me the next question. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. This is the kind of questions answers we're going to get. I'm going to love this one. This is going to be good. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Well, also Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, oh, see really? Get... Why? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Well, I didn't really have a a clear understanding of the show and what they were looking for. Uh, I thought they were interested in what we might call space pirates, and they were really interested in – they managed to state this pretty clearly. We want to see stories that reveal our characters to our audience in new and interesting ways. And although I understood the words, I couldn't make it work on the emotional level of story. I didn't have enough personal emotional depth to speak in an authentic emotional voice for characters in that world. And and this is why it's my worst geek out moment because I was touching a world that I really wanted to be a part of. And as the weeks unfolded and my efforts kind of revealed themselves to be not really ever gonna 
dock with Star Trek Deep Space Nine, pay you off on the story, send you on your way. As I could feel that slipping away, uh, that's the part of me that made me feel the the fan, feel the loss as a fan. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Because you were, you were writing probably something based off of what you felt from the original series. That would have been like a good Harvey Mudd story or something like that. And they wanted something completely different. If I had been, it would only be because I, I misunderstood the problem I was trying to solve. Uh, maybe I, I misunderstood because the people who were trying to communicate with me were themselves not entirely clear what the right answer looked like to them. Okay. That's very common on writing staffs, oh, especially yeah. when you're in a new show or in a new terrain. You don't quite know what right looks like until you get your feet under you. Totally, so, totally makes sense. Um, the the one thing that I looked for in a lot of those rooms and didn't always find was this is going to sound corny when I say it, and it's the wrong word, but I looked for gentleness and found a lot of savagery in a lot of those rooms. Ooh. It might have been just just the times, but I felt like this is not a, uh, an environment that's particularly interested in uh, nurturing collaboration. I actually had a friend who put it, this is a long time ago, by the way, this, I'm talking about Hollywood in the 80s. I'm not condemning anybody currently for anything, but do you know the word mensch? You know what a mensch oh, is? You need to, kind of, sort of, yeah. I grew up with it. This guy warned me. He said, in Hollywood, you need to remember, assholes work with assholes and menches work with menches. And so there are, there are a lot of hostile environments that were too hostile for me. Didn't I tell you what a wimp I was just a minute ago? You said you oh, yeah. put me on a hot seat. <laughs> yeah. so, um, right. uh, back then, I was a mess. I hadn't made some fundamental discoveries about the nature of validating from within, and I thought that I was only good if Hollywood told me I was good. And right. until I, until I shed that, until I got that off my back, I really wasn't operating effectively. That totally makes sense. What geeks you out the most? There is a place in my practice where my passion and my purpose intersect. When I'm using artistic tools, comic tools or writing tools or brush style tools, and the tools that I'm using, I'm using effectively, and the message that I'm conveying, I'm conveying meaningfully. And the intent of that message serves my greater aspiration to be of service to people around me. And when those things all come together, when I'm moving ahead in my practice, using the tools that I define my passion and serving my goals and aspirations as a human being living his life, then I am 101% geeked out. No, I totally understand that. <laughs> What turns your geek off, though? Let's look at the flip side. Money. Yeah. No, that's not exactly it. There's a um, this thing in the writing experience called taking yourself off the page. That can happen in one of two ways. You're writing along and everything's going great, and it's going so great, you start to fantasize about how great it's going to be. In my youth, it was always about... I'm fantasizing about being in a talk show, talking about the screenplay I wrote that won the Academy Award that I will write after I finish writing this dumb sitcom I'm working on now. 
I'm off the page and I'm lost. I can't operate effectively there. The other way I get taken off the page is when I'm scared. Like, I'm never going to fix this. This is never going to work. I suck. I'm never going to not suck. I'm a bad creator person. When I hear that voice in my head and that takes me off the page, well, I can feel my whole attitude changing as you ask the, ask the question. I, that's about as ungeeked out as I want to be. The anxiety that I'm feeling now and just describing the state tells me I don't want anything to do with it. What else you got? <laughs> no, understandable. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? What fictional character would a Sissy Hankshaw? Really? Yeah. That that's a good one. Where did that come from? Uh, well, you know, I'm speaking of the uh, seminal character of Tom Robbins. Even cowgirls get the blues. Oh yeah, I I knew exactly because yeah. I love that. That book. that that novel was uh, a, a difference maker for me at a time. When I was, I just graduated from college and I was wandering around trying to figure out what to do next. And the presence of that character inside my head was just transformational in terms of understanding that you can have fun on the page. You can make jokes on the page. You can be, you, the narrator can have a personality and the character you create have one. I just fell into it and, and steep in those juices forever. Oh, no, she is such plus, a great you know, character. Plus a serious awesome. crush. Oh, <laughs> I could totally like to see that, dude. dude I... What fictional character would you like to meet the least? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh, this is uh, going to be interesting. No, I don't think it's going to be that good. Do you remember the movie version of Starship Troopers, which was a terrible movie? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Paul Van Vanderhoven. Yeah, yeah. I think. I only think it was terrible because I'm a big, huge Robert Heinlein fan, and that movie did a great disservice to it. The character that I'm thinking of is the one that um, – what's his name? Uh, Neil Patrick Harris plays, the guy who ends up being the, the propaganda minister or something like that. Yeah, right. yeah that's the guy. I don't, wanna, I don't want anything to do with that guy. <laughs> what is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? A lot of the people I work with these days talk about putting things in silos, and I don't really like that metaphor, but I'm finding it useful. It's trapping me. I'm, I'm becoming siloed in the use of the word silo. Uh, that's where I'm at with that. I think that's a bad – give me that question again. Let me try it again. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? What's the last one? Or pose, or pose. Yeah, you know, like like the superhero pose, or oh. you know, or live long and prosper. You know, which is actually a Jewish thing. You know the the symbol. Oh, I know. Well, I, you, you see, it's the well, sign. It's the koans. Can, yeah. can you? It's the koans. It's the, uh, yeah. the the yeah. the rabbinate, the yeah. rabbis. So yeah. you see it on, on, on the you see it on rabbis the bouncing by at the cemetery. What was the question again? <laughs> uh, what is your favorite geek word, quote, or pose? All right. I'm going to go with, oh, while we're going Jewish, I'm going to go with the golem of Prague. Oh. Oh, did not see that coming, did you? And I sort mm. of feel like I pulled a rabbit out of my hat to get there. Too. Well, you pulled it out somewhere, but yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. The golem, the golem of Prague is a supernatural fictional character created from the mud of the river that flows through Prague and 
and endowed with uh, life force by the Baal Shem Tov, if memory serves, if memory serves. Uh, I'll be wrong about that. Anyway, um, a really fun and interesting and lovable supernatural creature. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, so that. What is your (laughs) ideal geek occupation? Oh, man. Uh, I have an old one and a new one. The old one, oh, this is great. I'm finally going to have an opportunity to use this. The old one is um, product name, uh, head of product names at Ikea. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I always thought that that would just be the greatest job for a guy like me. Because I love to mess with language, you know. And Okay, you can take L, O, and then your choice of interesting diacritical marks. And let's put an umlaut on top of that one. Mm-hmm. And then a T, and then a K, and then a T, and then an A. What does that sound like? Leticka. Sounds like a table. Go. <laughs> That's my new <laughs> coffee table. What do you mean? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. Awesome. But here's, here's what I'm into now. Facebook, uh, it, no, uh, people of a certain fictional character are trying to friend me on Facebook. They're um, manifestly young women looking to get me into some sort of WeChat group. You've had these invitations too. I've started, I've started logging their names. Listen to these names. Sophia Nothnagel Shirokower. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. I'm laughing because I see these people at least once a day That's pop right. up on my feed. Adele Lechner Brandstetter. And there's an umlaut over that A. I think I went Pia to high school with her. Maurer, I bet you did. <laughs> Pia Maurer Poland and Fanny Brecher Sattler. Guys, there's an algorithm at work there. I mean, this isn't just somebody sitting in a room saying, I got to come up with names because they have kind of a exotic northern European. You can't quite put your finger on it. Commonality to them. They're also mostly this three word rhyme thing. Not rhyme, but I say tempo. I say we need to get a translator into Russian and see what happens with those names. That's a good idea. Have you played that game? I don't even know if it's if it's any good anymore. But used to you could uh, you could take a phrase and put it into Google Translate and translate it across four or five languages, and it just come back hilariously garbled. <laughs> I, I remember taking uh, "Fortune favors the bold," and it came back something like "Fortune supports the fat." And no, that what? What? How did you get there? That's almost as good as writing fortune cookies for. I was going to say that's a fortune cookie. Oh, that's awesome! What geek occupation would you not like to do? What geek occupation would I not like to do? Anything that would keep me indoors around uh, um, positively charged electrical equipment all day, or for extended periods of time. Don't want to be around all those positive ions. No, totally. Gotta, you gotta, uh, I hate uh, being around positive all the time. It just makes me go. Just thinking about it. I was um I I did a record album among the other 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 things. I did a record album one a long time ago. And my um uh I hadn't any studio experience. My engineer brought in a ion fountain. Do you know what that is? Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh uh 
She said, around all this electrical equipment, you're going to feel fatigued. And whenever you do, just stick your head over this ion fountain and inhale, and you'll inhale the negative ion, uh, negative ions that remove the positive charge you build up being around all that electronics. It, and it was it totally so makes refreshing. sense. It totally yeah. makes sense. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, my, my aunt and uncle are naturopathic doctors, and they recommend me having one of those because I work at a computer all day. So, you know. They definitely say, you know, you need one of those to help with it. You need more negativity in your life. Oh, well, it's, it's it's an unfortunate. I can make a phone call. I can get a lot of negativity just like that. I was going to say, I, I, speaking of Facebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, it's John, unf- yeah, you ready ahead. for your final question? I am ready. All right. This is for all the marbles, dude. So let's see where you go. I didn't realize this. marbles were at stake. The marbles are at stake. I want all your marbles <laughs> if you don't get this one right. Yeah. So. <laughs> But then, you know, I've been talking to you for a while now, so I don't know how marbles, you know, many marbles, you know. I actually have have or need. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What is your ultimate geek fantasy? What is my ultimate geek fantasy? First, let's pause and reflect on the idea of what you said. If I don't get it right. (laughs) Exactly. if if, If it is my geek fantasy, how would it quite be possible for me not to get it right? That's the problem there. Uh, so, uh, all right. So, what is my ultimate geek fantasy? All right, I, I tell you what. I tell you what it is. In uh, the late seventies, I had a friend who went to MIT, and we were buddies in uh, Boston. We're very, very close friends, and uh, he uh, got a job at Xerox in, uh, in Menlo Park. Yeah, moved west and started into. Uh, a career that has taken him some really interesting places. Uh, the the fantasy, the geek fantasy of my life is I took the part of my brain that never said yes to that kind of activity and one time at a crucial moment said yes. Let me tell you what I mean. When I think of my geek side, it's not the creative, playful, let's have fun, let's be artistic, but the Get your mind processing like you know you can get it going and go. And I feel like that the part of me that was drawn to that never really got a fair shake because the part of me that wanted to chase the shiny objects was just never going to let any other voice take a turn. So in another uh, in another universe, I became that guy. I snorted a lot of coke in the 1980s as that guy uh, got married and divorced a couple of times as that, a ho- got, as that guy bought a house at the bottom of the market with a lot of nice orange trees in back that worked out great. That's one thing I did get right as that guy uh, <laughs> uh, became a San Jose Sharks fan, play a little poker at the Bay one one club and met a divorcee, settled down and lived more or less happily ever after as that guy. As that guy. Well, <laughs> there you go. Sorry, that, that guy's name, by the way, is Schman Schmorhaus. Schman so Schmorhaus. <laughs> so you know it's not me. Okay. It's not me. You know, we'll have to look up Schman when we go into the alternate universe, get mm. him in the geek seat, and he'll be talking about this guy named John. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Well, John, I got great news for you, my friend. You've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. Huzzah, huzzah. Mr. Mike Gordon, tell John Forhuis what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $84.06. Woohoo! I'm a winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> exactly. You know, because I, I can't tell you guys, I've never really won anything before. I mean, it, it, this goes right up there in my trophy case with my uh, summer camp participation medal and my Starbucks gold <laughs> card. That's all and, I got. And, and it's about it's it's worth maybe about half those worth, things. It's worth about um, half. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel honored, John. It's been absolutely a blast having you on the show. Um, for those people who want to find out more about what you're doing now, uh, where can they go? What can they look up? The key to all things Vorhausian is already in your hands. If you know my name. And you know how to spell it, J-O-H-N-V-O-R-H-A-U-S. Then you can go to Amazon, type that in, get to my Amazon author page, find a lot of cool books. You can go to my website, johnvorhouse.com, where you can reach out to me, uh, make, you know, make contact, drop me a line, find some other cool books, look at my pretty pictures. If you like the pretty pictures, you can hop on over to my Redbubble store, type in John Vorhouse on Redbubble. And find your way to my nifty little uh, arcade of coffee mugs and T-shirts and other cool stuff. So that would be the way. Plus, I'm on Facebook as, guess what, John Vorhouse. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm shocked there, dude. I know. I know someone's know. not tried to steal that identity yet. That's awesome. Oh, uh, you know, there is another John Vorhouse on the planet. There Contemporaneous is. to me, yes. I didn't know it for a long, long time. He's in Great Britain, and he was at one time the British National Authority on Corporal Punishment. I'm not sure if he was in favor of it or opposed to it, but that was his gig. That's how people knew him. Wow. And, and very infrequently, we've been confused for one another, which I'm sure is more annoying to him than well, to me. To help avoid with confusion, we'll have links to direct links to our, in our show notes so that people can just click on those and, and go check out your stuff. Great. Thank you. That Thank is you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Let's take a quick break and we will be back in a moment and we are going to be talking all about our favorite TV show pilots. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's box office buzz. I'm excited because this coming week we finally, finally get to see the newest Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, Black Widow. I am so excited to be going back to the theater to see an MCU movie again that I'm not even particularly concerned with whether this movie is going to be good or not. It's going to be so fun to get to see the next chapter of the MCU with other Marvel fans and then to get a peek at what the universe is going to be like going forward. I know I've mentioned this before that by the nature of being a prequel, Black Widow doesn't seem quite as exciting to me as some of the other movies coming up in this next phase, but hopefully it'll still be a good movie and keep pushing the MCU forward. I'm actually even more excited about the next episode of Loki than I am about Black Widow because this sh show is absolutely bonkers in the best way possible. I love that it's kind of going full on Doctor Who and we have all kinds of weird wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. You've got multiple versions of Loki. I really want this show to just keep giving us crazy mind bending stuff and I don't want it to be all neatly wrapped up by the end of the last episode. 
I want this show to fundamentally change the way we see the MCU and to open up lots of exciting new storytelling possibilities in the future. I think it's going to do that, but we'll have to wait and see. But again, I cannot wait for the next two episodes of this show. I'm also enjoying the Bad Batch over on Disney+. Plus. I feel like a lot of my attention has been focused on Loki just because it feels so groundbreaking. But the Bad Batch has been a lot of fun too. And it's great to have these shows on Disney+. Plus To look forward to as we wait for some of the big blockbusters to come back into the theater. And that's all I've got for this week's Box Office Buzz. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog over on the ESO Podcast website. My name is Mark McCray, and I'm the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. I'm Dan Klink, co-host of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives features programming trends from the 1966 television season all the way through the last hurrah of the early digital age of the 1990s. On the show, if it's animated, we talk about it. Order your signed copy today at tbsool.com. And listen to the podcast at esonetwork.com and all podcast platforms. Hey there, listeners, and welcome back to Earth Station One. Now we are going to be talking about some of our favorite pilots and what makes a great pilot. And here is a pilot of his own. Hopefully he won't have us crash and burn tonight. It's <laughs> Mr. Mike Gordon. Wow, look at you playing with that word, that word play. That's a... That's really fun. Um, uh, and we, hopefully we'll have a lot of fun tonight talking about um, lots of different types of pilots. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting on how uh, TV shows, series that we love, and sometimes they don't, they don't make it past it, but, um, you know, what makes a good pilot um, when we're introduced to a, a show. Uh, we've got a great crew, of course, as always, to talk all about it, uh, starting with our good friend of the station, Mr. Michael Faulkner. Michael, welcome back to the station, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It is not my pilot episode on the station. <laughs> no, not at all. No, 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 no. Nobody wants to go back and look at a pilot of this show. That's for sure. Uh, that wouldn't. Oh, that... dude, if you went to see what the pilot was on this one. <laughs> no, no, we are. We are not. It, that's not even one of our favorite pilots. Uh, so, uh, yeah, good call there. Uh, we also have with us the award-winning author Bobby Nash's return. Speaking of like hey, hey, hey. people who've been on the show a lot and and, and not and almost since the beginning. I, I do feel bad. I've spent all day like uh, studying and researching Orville and Wilbur Wright. Now apparently that was wrong. Yeah. First, first on my list was Ted Stryker, so it's okay. <laughs> you know what? If you're if you're looking into rights, how can you be wrong? Um, <laughs> well, okay. Well, uh, end of wordplay. Uh, I want to get right to it because there's a lot to talk about, obviously. Um, and Bobby, you were actually uh, part of the inspiration behind this discussion because you had had a link to uh, this was a topic that was out there about a month or so ago. Uh, where people were just generally talking about what their favorite pilots were, and I know that you shared it and got a lot of responses. Um, but uh, so Let's start with you as far as um, give us an example of one of your favorite pilots and what makes it so good. Okay. Well, you know, because I, I thought long and hard about this too as we were going because not all sh all shows have a first episode, but not all shows have a pilot. Right. 
Right. So, yeah. There's a lot there's of a big difference kinds. there. Yes. yes. Yeah. So there were a lot of things I discounted because they went in knowing they've got a whole season, so they didn't have to sell it with one episode. But there, I, I do have quite the list, um, including one I'm in, which was awesome. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say that. I remember that. One. Makes, As I said, yeah, this, makes... this this list is completely subjective, people. <laughs> Um, um, but you raise a point and maybe we should start there before you get in heavy in your list and in, in your first one, like there are a lot of different types of pilots. There are the, uh, there's the sort of, uh, movies that sort of, you know, they, they're not sure about it, having it, uh, do a full series. So they start off doing uh, TV movies. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, once those are successful, then that becomes a series. Now, when they do the series, the movies, sometimes it's not necessarily known whether or not they're going to go to full series or not. But but that does happen a lot. There's backdoor pilots where they'll mm-hmm. try to sneak in a spinoff uh, of an episode of sub. So I'm curious to see whether you know you guys uh, which um you know which which pilots that you have listed on on your list as far as uh, if they're all just premise pilots or um, if some of them actually uh, snuck through the back door. I, you know, I didn't even think about backdoor pilots when I was making my That's list. A different show. So I don't, I don't have, yeah. <laughs> That's so more of an adult of show if I ever heard but, one. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> but, but you're right. A lot of like, yeah, cause some shows, you know, like, uh, Bosch or, um, the, the, the dare daredevil or Jessica Jones, they knew in knowing they were getting a whole season right. when they started. So they didn't have to make one episode that convinces everybody to watch this show. So I kind of, I didn't include those in my list because technically they don't have pilots. Yes. They, they, they sold a premise. Um, but, uh, and a lot of shows did start out with, you know, like you said, with two hour premieres or technically almost movies to start it out. Um, but I have quite the list, as, as, as you can see. It's <laughs> quite. But uh, I'll throw out just um, one right off the top of the bat um, that I think really sold. Because I figure at some point we're going to talk Star Trek, so I figure just get that out of the way first. And I think of all the Star Trek shows, I think Deep Space Nine probably had the best pilot of all of them. Yeah, I, if you look. I, yeah, I, uh, I I would agree with that. Um, certainly the original series kind of stumbled with its pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing that was, that aired that they first shot, uh, that actually didn't air until much longer when it was made into a two-parter. And then they didn't even start with the first episode of the production. They, mm-hmm. they aired the second episode, if I'm not mistaken, first, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, the man trap was aired first and it was not the first one. So, and as much as I like ne- ne- uh, next generation, what it became the, uh, the pilot, <laughs> eh, not exactly them at their best. It didn't win me over. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Encounter at far point is, yeah, it's not, it, it wouldn't even crack their okay episodes. It's, you know, um, but, and, and there was a lot of that too, where I had to just, I was kind of thinking, ooh, I love this series. Wait, their pilot was not good. You know, that's why MASH doesn't make my list. Oh, you know? interesting. As much as I love MASH, their first episode is... <laughs> um, so, but I figured Deep Space Nine would be a, would, was a good one to start with. It tells you everything you need to know to set the, the show up. It tells an exciting story, and it does tie it into... The next generation, you know, with the, with the uh, the guest appearance by Patrick Stewart. 
so there's a lot of good stuff in there that you know is because at, at the time you know that that show the pilot was filmed you know tng was at the top of their game they were super successful uh the movies were still doing good with the original crew so as much as it seems like a no-brainer i i do understand there was a lot of concern that whether or not this this show would would take off because you know from a storytelling standpoint it is vastly different than the other the series that were going on yeah this is the first star trek uh, series that doesn't have the Enterprise, doesn't focus right. on the Enterprise, or even a ship. <laughs> For, mm-hmm. You know, they are not boldly going; they're they're sitting. <laughs> 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 they're, they're boldly being stationary. Yes, they just they just twirl around, <laughs> <and> boldly <laughs> orbiting. <laughs> uh, so. And and they did a good job too with um, with setting themselves apart from the other Trek series too, because um, you know Kirk and Picard were designed as these these authoritarian figures who are nearly perfect, and the the crew around them is also you know nearly perfect and kind of feeds off of that that idolization of the captain's chair. Uh, DS9. I mean, the first thing you find is is a commander, not a captain, and he is troubled. He has to work through something in the beginning to grow personally. And there's a he's not, uh, yeah, he's not broken perfect at all. Yeah, and there's a ton yeah. of conflict on the station. Everyone's got their own agendas, and they they don't always see eye to eye. And it it was a great way to start that off as as its own entity. You know, it, this is way different than what you've seen before. Mm-hmm. The uh, you know, D Space Nine has some of my favorite, not only just Star Trek moments, but TV moments. And um, tuning in to D Space Nine, I was already pretty excited about it um, because I had read, you know, the TV guy in the articles because it's pre-internet kind of then. Um, And uh, so I tune in and the first shot, the first scene is, you know, we're going to take you to Wolf 359. And I was like, you got me. I don't care what happens now. You got me. That is probably the easiest and best uh, grab that a pilot, a series has uh, has ever done for me. Like I'm like you take the one of the most exciting moments in all of Star Trek history uh, that we didn't really we only, we just saw the aftermath of, you know. And you, you didn't gonna, actually see the actual battle, right? You're going right. to bring us right to that moment and show us like this big Borg battle between uh, the Federation and the Borg. Like uh, it's just it was a phenomenal way to start. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now that was that yeah. was great, and it it yeah. had me hooked because it's like, oh my god, this station is falling apart, and everyone on it is falling apart around it too. Mm-hmm. And that was yeah. what made it great. Yeah, and Star Trek, especially the the modern day, you know, or at that time, you know, it's it's weird. The Star Trek's a really hit and miss. You know, TNG had a really awful pilot but it became this fantastic show. Deep Space Nine started out good and actually got better. And Voyager started out good, but then kind of went peaks and valleys, I guess we'll say politely. Um, You know, because their pilot, the Voyager pilot, was actually quite good and quite different than, like, the show just dropped a lot of elements that were in the pilot. Sure. You know, after it was over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's a whole different thing, you know. I mean, the pilot yeah. is a setup, and it has to hook you, right? Mm-hmm. And right. Um, and then the series has to take that setup and, and continue on with it. And that sometimes it's more of a challenge if the setup is so great. But I'm glad we're getting we're we're showing Deep Space Nine some love because earlier in our Geek Seat segment, uh, 
it didn't get quite a lot of love. So, <laughs> so uh, well, we'll just have to edit that out. <laughs> but uh, uh, Michael Faulkner, what about you? What uh, what uh, what's a good what's a pilot on your list that stands out? Well, we we talked about uh, you. You said mentioned you mentioned briefly uh, the the need for it to hook you and to really lay the groundwork for what the premise of the show is. The the one that pops to mind immediately for me is Quantum Leap. Um, Genesis, oh, yeah. you know, Genesis does a great job of you know, it shows you the future for like what two minutes and says, okay, your main character is off on his adventure, and then you are with Sam Beckett the you know for the rest of this this time, and it you know it, it does a great job of 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 putting you in his position of being, you know, without his memory, without any idea of what he's doing there. Can't remember who he is in the future or, or even what he's doing there in the past. And, you know, you're learning with him from, from Al what's going on, you know, and you have, you have to fill in the blanks with him along the way. And I, it, I always come back to that one because I think it's a very powerful way to start that story. What a, what a great introduction to Sam Beckett, too. The, it's not like we get to know him, then this thing happens. Like you said, they show up the first time we see Sam, he's in the machine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and there's no turning back. So, Yeah, yeah excellent. Uh, I You know what? I don't know if I've ever actually seen uh, the pilot for that series. So I, I've watched a few episodes of that, but I, I get it, you know? And, um, you know, and... and that's when that's when tv was kind of changing i think when you have your like late 70s 80s because uh prior to that like almost every show had to repeat its premise over and over and over again because they never knew if somebody was watching it for the first time so Mm -hmm. um so a lot of times you know it's hard to differentiate between like if you're watching uh, like the Adams family or get smart or some of my favorite shows like that from the sixties or whatever. Like, it's hard to tell which one's the pilot because they're always like sort of giving you the premise right away because, mm-hmm. uh, because they, each episode could be someone's first. Whereas well, uh, exactly. Well, the only way you knew like it was an early season of Gilligan's Island was they were trying to fix the boat, trying to still get out. Yeah, well, the, the first episodes were, I believe were in black and white, right? Oh Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. and then you can always tell too because it doesn't have Professor Marianne in the credits like exactly. <laughs> in the opening credits. So it's not till later where they were like we're like hey we want to be mentioned too. So uh, so yeah, but I mean and that's one of those shows too where I mean you know Gilligan's Island. I, I don't even know if they do we in the first episode do we see them actually get shipwrecked like on the island or is it, does it start off and they're already shipwrecked? I don't know. See. Writer, listeners, we want you to write us. Let us know. Exactly. We should ask Mark Maddox. He was around then. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. I think, I think too, that's also why some of those shows, and I think Quantum Leap is a good example, has had that opening narration. So it's like you didn't have to yes. – you, you could st- go into any yep. – almost any Quantum Leap episode without having seen any in the past. And that two minutes of exposition at the beginning, you're, you're, you're right yeah, on board. Yeah. Exactly. And now, as you mentioned, Bobby, and now it's like pilots are almost a lost art because uh, because a lot of streaming services are making the decision like we want to tell a mm-hmm. continuous story across six, eight, thirteen, whatever it is episodes, and we're going to buy that package, that whole you know strip of episodes, and 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 the episodes don't even really they're not really episodic; they're more like chapters of of a big story. Mm-hmm. Very much so. 
yeah, and of yeah. course, my my first pick is going to be one of those chapters in a really long story. <laughs> Before we get to that, Michael Faulkner, what were you going to say? I was going to say, uh, and it even stretches further than that because you've got a lot of the the series that the the renewals for the next season are, are kind of just a you know passing the wind. Like the first episode premieres, and you're like, okay, it's been on for five minutes. Season two's up. You know, we're gonna we're gonna renew it for that. Yep. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so, sometimes these season two's already renewed before it even airs. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, all right, Mike. What's uh, what's your pick? My first one actually is going to be the uh, the pilot for Lost. Ah, that one's on my list too. Yeah, yeah that one and was uh, that was pretty amazing. It was amazing because you had no idea what this show was going to be or become. You know, and half the times I didn't even think the writers knew what the show was going to become. <laughs> and you know, the pilot was. Literally, you had the airplane crash. It literally, the plane, you had the, you know, you had them on the beach. The plane just crashed and everyone was in shock and you didn't know who anybody was in this. You didn't know who was an extra. You had some, you know, some people like you knew Terry O'Quinn. You knew, you know, some of the other folks. Oh, that's the guy from Lord of the Rings, you know, or, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But you had no idea who was, you know, who or what it was about. And it was just amazing. And you thought, oh, Lost, is this going to be like a Gilligan's Island ripoff or something? <laughs> and, oh, my God, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> and that, that, the first hour of that, too, man, there is no slowing down. Oh, there, there's no slowing there. down the two hours. Of yeah. The, you know, well, you know the big thing with it is Jack was originally supposed to die in the pilot. Yeah, and, yeah. It was they had originally cast Michael Keaton. I heard. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah, and Michael Keaton was going because they were going to play it up like you know make it look like oh this is our star this is our hero and then kill him by the smoke monster to show that you know he was supposed yeah. to be a victim of the smoke monster and so. you know and right after the airplane scene and it was it was just amazing and you know they. It was because I think it was supposed to be Kate and Sawyer were the, supposed to be the two big characters mm -hmm. in the show. And, you know, they became big later. But, you know, the mystery is behind everybody. And it was it was great. It was this series, you know, for me, it sparked so much of the genre TV of the, you know, got to watch the next episode. You cannot miss an episode of the show or you would be lost, you know, literally. <laughs> It, it was definitely water cooler TV because it seemed like not only was everybody watching it, everybody was talking about it. Mm -hmm. And they were brilliant, too. At the time it came out, they were starting to utilize the Internet oh, uh, very as much. part of the whole, viral marketing. Oh, the whole Dharma initiative yeah, so, and the websites and all that. It's just amazing what they tied it yeah. into. You had little clues about what was going on in the episodes or to come the next season or whatever because of the different website stuff and you had to like click on the little easter eggs in the in the website to be able to understand it person of interest was very similar to that actually the uh thing about lost though that changed i think viewing for a mass millions of people and still to this day it's kind of a a, a dark cloud over some shows is that people when you watched Lost, uh, you were so busy trying to figure out what was going on. You weren't watching sometimes the drama unfold and the characters. You were 
you were so like noting, oh, look at that thing in the background. That's going to mean something. Or, hey, they said this phrase twice. That must mean something. So you're like, you're theorizing and you're trying to pick up on clues instead of actually just sitting and enjoying some a drama. Oh, yeah. And, and, and we've seen that like to its detriment. I mean, uh, you know, I don't think it was around then. If it was, uh, it certainly wasn't to the extent that it is now. But if it, Reddit was around with Lost, I mean, it would have been crazy full of like every you know it would be crazy oh, it was it was yeah there, there were myspace pages about it there were you know mm-hmm. you know so, it was like I said, they, but they were but they were one of the few two productions that utilized those things to to entice us between episodes oh yeah they you know, fueled that i yeah, I don't recall seeing too many shows do that before. Obviously, all shows do that kind of stuff now, you know, viral marketing and whatnot. But, you know, it was it was kind of unique at the time. Yeah, because when they uh, weren't getting ratings on the show, when the show wasn't airing, they were like, go to the website, read the book, do this, do that. And you, you want mm-hmm. clues? We're going to give you clues. Um, even though they won't make any sense whatsoever because the writers are just trying to figure out. Yeah, this is a definitely uh, Lost is one of those episodes, shows that's going to come up certainly during our favorite TV pilots. When we do favorite TV uh, finales, uh, probably not. No. No. <laughs> so, Mikey, what is your favorite first on your list? For oh, pilots? yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's move on, right? Um, uh, okay, I was debating whether or not to mention this one, but, you know, when I was uh, when I was making my list, I was like, you know, I have to. Um, so I'm going to preface this by saying that uh, not really uh, a big fan of the man and his actions now, but I have to give uh, The Devil His Due, and uh, the first time I tuned into the very first episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Joss Whedon won me over um, and it was no easy task for, for him because he had a movie that is, I don't even know if I want to say it was semi-successful. It was just kind of out there um, and it already had a reputation. Um, he had made a 25 minute uh, unaired pilot to sell the show, um, which I is still out there, I guess on the, on the DVD sets and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so so technically, the first episode is is not the pilot, but um, uh, it's it you know it is the first episode. It is the start of the show. It does introduce us to Buffy and all the characters, and in addition to telling us the premise, it's the characters. And I think this is a, a good example. We talked about like the premise of the show and has to sell the premise. It has to sell the premise. It has to set it up, and that's what. Um, this one does this Buffy the Vampire does as well. Actually, the title pretty much does that. But what you really care about She's are the not char- an accountant, folks, really. Yeah, <laughs> what you really care about and with television, especially, are the characters. And uh, Buffy and Xander and Cordelia and Willow and, and Giles. Um, I mean, and, and Angel shows up at the end, and it's just, it, it just clicks you in i think darla makes an appearance i mean they're all there like she's actually she's actually the first one we meet is darla that, yeah yeah that's true that's true. That, that's actually the twist the twist in the opening teaser <laughs> right right because they they play the opening teaser like this this girl is is the victim yep you know and then the, the twist is that she's actually the she's actually the monster that's right that's right um so yeah um and uh i i like i said it, it had so much baggage going into this 
and it was a hard sell for people. I don't know how well it, I don't think it did really well in ratings. I mean, it did well enough and it got word mm-hmm. of mouth out there eventually, but I think, um, you know, I, I was skeptical, although I was curious. And after that first episode, I'm like, done, sold. I'm, I'm, I'm a Buffy fan for life. And I am, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a, it's been a great ride. So. Yeah. Um, I think I think you're right about the word of mouth because I watched it when I watched it was when they were rerunning season one before season two started over the summer. They reran it. And that's when I found it because my brother convinced me to watch it. He's like, you would love this. And I'm like, I saw the movie. I'm good. And he's like, no, no, you would love this. And so I, I gave it a shot, you know, based off of his recommendation. And yeah, like you after the first I was hooked. It was just, it was so good. Um, Mike Faulkner, what's another one that's on your list? Um, one that, that really, it, it changed the game for me as far as the series looked. I expected the series to be a sitcom based on the people that were in it. And it ended up being this, this thesis on metaphysics and God and the afterlife. It's the good place. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I was talking to Judy about that earlier because we were going over my list. And she says, what about the good place? And I said, honey, up until like halfway through the first season, we were going to cancel that series. You know, <laughs> And it was brilliant and everything. But it didn't catch me till the twist happened. You know, at you know towards the end of the season, and it was like, oh, story about heaven, and you know she's not supposed to be there. Ha ha ha! How cute. Uh, did we not understand what was going on? <laughs> I mean, I've got a soft spot for Kristen Bell anyway, because you know, like Veronica Mars and everything mm-hmm. else that she's been in. Uh, the the I'm not supposed to be here twist was kind of the one that that grabbed me because it's you know you you don't expect that twist to occur until later on. You know, you see all you should. Most other series like this would have had like all the havoc happening, and then all of a sudden, like maybe this is me. But within the first twenty minutes, it's no. Here's your conflict, and they lay it right out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they they start to sew those threads that you know maybe maybe the good place isn't you know it's it's got some flaws that need to be be talked about and that kind of thing. It was it was really good, and it it made it made my wife and I you know kind of fans again of appointment television. You're like, oh, it's it's here. We're gonna be there to watch it. Yeah, and especially and after the end of the season's twist, mm-hmm. season two is even more so. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to get it? You know, how are they going to top this? How are they going to end? But, but they, they managed to continue to surprise us and through the end of the series. Yep. That's, a, that's another one where right away you've got me because the, the episode starts and it's Ted Danson and Christabel. And I'm like, I'm sold. <laughs> just, I could, I could, I could hang out with them, you know, in in their basement while they're reading the phone book or something. Like they, they, they have instant chemistry, and uh, they're both so good at what they do, and it's just uh, great to work, uh, great to watch them. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's another one with the characters, you know. Obviously, you're introduced to the characters, and we don't, you know, we find out much more about them, and we go on quite the roller coaster ride with them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that first episode has to hook you and it, it hooked me as well. Mm-hmm. Although Perfect. I will say with Mike too, I was surprised at the twist as well. And it, uh, you know, cause as well, I was like, I, cause I was wondering through the, the course of the first season, like how, like how far can they take this? Mm-hmm. And boy, did I, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> there, there aren't many times that you know, I'll, I'll kind of launch out on my seat on a couch, like, what is it? Because I didn't see it coming. And that was one of those times, like, 
no what oh come on guys <laughs> you know <laughs> we, we, we just both of us sitting here watching it we just stopped mouths hanging open like no way <laughs> yeah oh yeah. man so good so good and we just te- we just you know spoiled it for people but that's all right uh you've had your chance so you can still watch it and enjoy it uh yes. hey the twist at the end of the season was spoiled for me and it's still got yeah me. so <laughs> uh awesome. so uh mike faber what about you me um i'm torn on this one because this one actually that i'm going to talk about um we have a whole podcast talking about this one already but um, I'm going to talk about Doctor Who because it's a series that actually almost didn't make it past its pilot because of an assassination of an American president. Yeah, and so they actually had to re- they actually refilmed the pilot because of it, and because I you know back then you know a lot of it was recorded live for to go out, and Kennedy was assassinated. And they so the storyline, the unearthly child, uh, basically you had, you know, the doctor who is almost more master like than, you know, doctor that we know nowadays. And it was just really interesting to see the story um, that, you know, grew for now almost 60 years. And, you know, that's been going and, you know, it almost, like I said, it almost didn't make it past its original because, you know, it was the storyline, this schoolgirl who was a little awkward and was followed to where she lived in a junkyard in this blue box with her grandfather. And basically the, basically the teachers stole away on the blue box as it was getting ready to disappear through space and time. And it was, you know, basically they ended up in the Stone Age and it was supposed to be an educational program for children. And it was really interesting where it went from there. And Doctor Who, you know, you know, it it wasn't supposed to make it as long as it has. And thank goodness it has. And, you know, we talk all about that on Earth Station Who and many other Doctor Who podcasts that are out there. But that's the only one we know of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, now, do you consider do you consider the the Paul McGann movie or the first episode uh, Rose as pilots as well? Yes, I, do. Don't. I don't. I do. Okay. I, do. I, I have Rose on my list as an honorable mention because yeah, it, yeah, it it does serve the purpose of relaunching the franchise. It's a reboot yeah. pilot, yeah. basically. And oh, even though they're reboot. the same. Yeah, I mean, even though the same continuity, there was an argument for a very long time as to whether or not they're the same continuity. Yeah. yeah because they were so different as, as far as production values went. Exactly. And basically, the Paul McGann movie was also meant as a pilot mm-hmm. for a brand new series, you know, as a, I think it was a collaboration between Fox and BBC. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and it just happened to be on against the season finale, the series finale of Roseanne. So it basically, you know, nobody watched it here in the States, but it was huge in Europe. And Fox was like, oh, didn't do well. So thanks, but no thanks. You know. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. Fox was usually so patient with that, with shows and letting mm-hmm. them develop and, and take their time. It's surprising that they would just pull the triggers. Well, so Doctor fast. Who would have lasted a season on Fox in that. <laughs> if they I, uh, um, and I, And I get why you guys, you know, 
the, technically they are pilots. So yes, I, I, I just feel like they're just, it's all one big continuity in me. So I'm glad. Isn't technically that, but... each regeneration a new pilot? <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, but, um, but I will say, you know, it took, I, I, you know, obviously I didn't watch the, 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 the pilot, the very first episode on earthly child till like many, many, many years after I, I became a doctor who fan. And when I finally watched it, what, what I really liked about it is I can't say it's the most like, you know, action grabbing, dramatic oh, uh, pilot. It. Like it's not going to like, you know, uh, if I had seen it first, but what I really appreciated was the fact that the elements that it introduces are still in play. Like you can watch the pilot and it doesn't feel like a different show. It feels like very much the same show that you're watching now uh, mm-hmm. with slightly better writing. Um, but uh, <laughs> And the TARDIS still has the better, parking brake on. It's awesome. Better visual effects. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> but, you know, um, so that's what I really appreciated about the pilot. And that's why it made my list as well, Mike. Cool. All right. I didn't write that one down because I figured I knew my 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 group here, <laughs> so I knew somebody else would say it. So it was not on my list, but yeah. Well, what's what's another one on your list, Bobby? Okay. Well, I'm going to go back a little bit to uh, uh, you know anybody that knows me knows I'm a huge fan of of these type of shows. Uh, the pilot to uh, the original Magnum PI. Oh. Uh, don't eat the snow in Hawaii, which is what it's called. <laughs> okay. Um, Magnum PI. You know, this the the pilot would have been a good movie on its own. And this was a, this was right after the time you know Universal was doing that with a lot of their pilots, like they did with Buck Rogers and like they did with Battlestar Galactica. This came just a couple of years after that, and it, it almost feels like it was written for that purpose because the pilot would have made a fantastic like movie in its own right. It's a thriller about trying to solve a a, a murder, which leads to more murders and. Uh, there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of action. Certainly, beautiful locations, car chases, uh, wonderful cast. It was very likable. Um, but they were really good about that. There's the, uh, in the first three seasons of Magnum PI. There's a two-parter in each season that would have been good movies on their own. And if we'd have just got those, that would have been a fantastic movie trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, and everything's in the in the pilot that you need to know about this show, the, the naval ties, because the other movie, epi- movie episodes deal with, you know, the Navy deal with uh, his time in Vietnam, personal, more personal things to him other than just the case of the week. And uh, yeah, I, I find it still holds up more or less today. There's bits that are dated, um, but uh, it's still a fantastic story and, you know, worth watching. Cool. Magnum's always been fun. And it, I've haven't ever watched the new series of it, and you know, it, it, Magnum's always going to be Tom Selleck, you know, for me. Yeah. Well, the new show, the new show, I have watched it. The new show, it, the new show grabs the trappings, but the heart of it is not quite there. It's 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 the same thing. I feel sometimes when I see hear cover songs, you know, it's like, oh, we're just making this song because it was it, the the heart of the song is missing. Mm-hmm. And I, that's kind of what I feel about the the new Magnum. It's it's missing that one that thing. It looks pretty. They've still got the action, the car chases. They've they've obviously got a better budget than the old show had. <laughs> um, so there's a lot there to like, but just at its core, it's missing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good thing that that the pilot uh, 
War Magnum actually was successful because otherwise Tom Selleck would have blown his chance to be Indiana Jones for nothing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that that's uh as Bobby said too, the, that methodology for making those um those pilots, you know, as as movies was uh something that was really popular at the time. Like I said, Battlestar Galactica and and um Airwolf was another uh, Donald Barrel scenario yeah, one where he just he put it out as a movie first and then you know that was the pilot episode as well with a little extra added in for television. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was quite the interesting uh, interesting thing to see about that time. You know, it's, you kind of play both sides of the field. Like we'll get it, we'll get the movie side. We'll if it works, we'll get a TV you know, contract oh. as well. And I think too because Universal owned those properties, mm-hmm. that made it easier for Universal to just slide it into their movie rotation and and airwolf was actually on my list as well because yeah that that that's a that pilot episode yeah that could have been in theaters yeah well that's a perfect segue to mine because uh uh yeah i was debating about whether or not to put this one on there too but um i have to mention Battlestar galactica the original 1978 uh Battlestar galactica the uh, the pilot, which at the time had been announced to first of three made-for-TV movies, after the broadcast of the second episode, uh, they that's when uh, ABC got green-lighted it for a series, and and so uh, they started producing it as a series after that. But primarily, the, the, before that, it was budgeted. The pilot was budgeted as a made-for-TV movie, whatever you want to call it, was budgeted at eight million dollars, which was the most expensive. Uh, by far the most expensive uh, pilots uh, or TV movies, if you will, uh, aired at the time. And it was released theatrically so they could get some of that money back. Uh, they edited it to a 125-minute uh, version. Um, similarly to Mike's Doctor Who story, uh, when they originally aired, it was interrupted. Oh, I know. Uh, I was so pissed. I was I so pissed. As a kid, you know, because it was interrupted by the signing of the Israeli-Egyptian peace treaty. Yep. Yeah. Um, the only peace treaty I was worried about was the one with the Cylon. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, so a lot of us kids, you know, didn't get to see the ending right away because, uh, you know, ABC resumed the broadcast. But at that point, it was like, you know, late at night, and by the time it ended, we we had to go to bed. So, um, and there was no there was no on demand, no, no on demand, oh, no, no DVR, no not even a VCR really. Or the VCRs yeah. were not as common then. Yeah, I, know, I never actually saw the movie until it was re- rewound, probably a year and a half, two years later, because. They showed, ended up showing it because too many people were calling the local affiliate. Yeah. And they showed it at like two in the morning or something. To, and my parents wouldn't let me stay up that late. <laughs> but uh, I, didn't, I didn't see the movie version until they like released it on home video. Wow. Video many years later. The, um, now you can get the, the original uh, movie as it aired um, on TV. You can get the 125 minute version that was in theaters. I think there's another version out there too. But. Uh, um, but anyway, uh, this series had everything that I wanted at the time. I mean, it was, it had action heroes. It had great special effects. It had the special effects were so good. They used them 
throughout the whole series for every time they needed to show a Cylon oh, or dude, a they Viper used it on fighting. other series too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's how good the special effects were. Man, they got their money's worth uh, with these special effects. But the introduction of the Cylons, the whole premise of the show, the Egyptian history uh, elements to it, it's just everything was, was right in my wheelhouse and I was sold. And those first three movies that uh movie arcs because i think they were broken up in the in the mm-hmm. episode episodes after that but those those first six or seven episodes man that's some really good television that's some really <laughs> fun fun amazing television mm-hmm. yeah abc abc had a habit of doing that especially with sci-fi in those because buck rogers had the same thing they were using the first was it nbc yes. but yeah maybe it was, it, was, it was the same kind of premise yeah. the they were going to be tv movies well, it was the same so producer that's why, like yeah, that's why the so the first I don't know six or eight episodes of season one are just a bunch of two parters. Yeah, that, that that were that were could have been movies. That, but well, yeah. that's how that's how they made the money back. And Glenn Larson yeah. did produce both, and, and he had such mm-hmm. success with Buck Rogers. NBC wanted some. I mean, with Battlestar Galactica, NBC wanted something. They did Buck Rogers, and actually, mm-hmm. I saw the pilot quote unquote of Buck Rogers because it aired in the theaters before it aired on TV. Mm-hmm. So I actually saw that uh, I think it was at the drive in yeah. and I'm old. Uh so yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I do know that I do know that outside of the US for Battlestar Galactica and for Buck Rogers, those episodes that were two parters and what were sold overseas as movies in theaters. Oh yeah, they were any way they could get their money so, back, man. Larson yeah. was all over that. So yeah. But um, but another one that I kind of put in that camp too, and Bobby, we talked about this, and I don't know if it's on your list or not. But you know, the Bionic Man, uh, the Six Million Dollar Man, those were originally a series of movies or made for TV movies. That that, yeah. and I don't know when they made the decision to actually put that as a series, but um, you know that that's the way that worked as well. Yeah, those I think those three movies were far more. Uh, popular than they expected them to be. Yeah, and uh, so they went from that to the series pretty quick. Um, but the movie for the difference between the movies two and the show, the show is very family friendly. It was aimed almost more toward you know us kids at that age. You know, whereas you go back and watch the movies, the movies are more of a more adult storytelling and type of story because most of the first movie Steve's trying to commit suicide because he doesn't want to live like this mm. and the government like patches him up sends him on a mission brings him back puts him in a coma until they need him again so he won't kill himself right right that's how it ends <laughs> you know With Steve on there's ice there's no happy yeah there's no happy ending for this he's guy he's got a winter soldierish. Uh, yeah, yeah kind of sort of that's a good way to put yeah. it but uh, yeah, and it's very similar to um, uh, oh, man. I had another show in my head that kind of did that too, and now I just completely lost it. So, so we'll move on. Uh, Mike uh, Faber, we'll go with you as for this round. What's uh, what's one that made your list? What's a different pilot that 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 you that stands out to you? Um, for me, I'm going to have to do Who Killed Laurel Palmer. We're going to have to do Twin Peaks. Yes. Oh, because it jumped in literally, you know, very innocently, very quiet, and you know, it was a it was a TV movie of the week, same way these others were, and you know, if T- David Lynch presents Twin Peaks, you know, and 
you don't ever, you know, all they said, you know, was like, it started off, who killed Laura Palmer? What is this? You know, whatever. And literally from the, you know, you find the guy out on the beach fishing and he sees something wrapped up on the, on the beach and he opens up and he's, it's Laura Palmer, you know, the most popular girl in school, you know, you know, the head cheerleader, everything is, you know, all of a sudden killed. And it just goes from there to, from the quirky town of Twin Peaks, it, you know, it dives into, you know, the mind of David Lynch and you you don't even want to know where you land because you still don't know all these years later, you still don't know. It never quite climbs out of the mind. (laughs) No, not at all. And, but it, it was amazing watching and everything. Yeah, that was that was another one. Much like what we talked about with Lost, that was a very much discussed yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. I was. I remember I was in high school when it came out, and it was talked about. You know, people were talking about it all through the school. You know, you know who killed Laura Palmer was was the who shot Jr. of the day. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, but one was yeah. a finale, and one was a pilot. <laughs> pilot. Yeah. So exactly, and you know the introduction. You had the very quirky police department and then they brought in FBI agent, Agent Del Cooper, you know, and, you know, his little tape recorder talking to Diane, you know, and it was just, you know, and there were so many, so many awesome things about this. And it's like you, a lot, these were like stuff you taped, you know, each time because you wanted to go back to see what you missed was like, wait a minute, that talk- person's talking backwards. Wait a minute. Is that something in the back? Or, you know, like you were talking about with Lost. It's, yeah, the, it, it was, was the same thing. That. It was I don't think it was quite as as people were quite. Yes, I do remember mm-hmm. because you, we wanted to solve the mystery. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, and and not only did it set up the mystery, like who killed blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's a great setup. Right. But just the way that, you know, Mark Snow and uh, David Lynch set the tone and the character, once again, the characters, it hooks you because it's unlike anything else you're watching on television. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it was it was just amazing. And, you know, they had a movie off of it, you know, Fire Walk With Me. Then they had the reboot series, what, three, two years ago, three years ago now? Yeah. And there's still talk about they're them doing another one, and but I think that's just wishful that's because they're still waiting for an answer. Oh, of course they are. <laughs> How many times do we have to answer this? Uh, no, Bob did it. It's like the uh, one that fits. Um, I'm going to piggyback off that one too because one of mine. I was looking at you know what makes a good pilot, and to me, if the show is a um, a show that deals with somebody who's a private investigator or a detective or there's a mystery involved that pilot has to set up the mystery right it not only has to introduce us to the detective but it has to set up the mystery especially if it's going to be a season-long or series-long mystery and um to me uh one of my favorite ones that's done that in the modern time is veronica mars Oh, sure. Um, Very uh, much so. Veronica Mars, I didn't watch that when it premiered originally in 2004. It was one that I kept seeing ads for, and there was something about it that said, Mike, you need to check this out. You need, This seems like it's in your wheelhouse. 
Um, but it was on the CW and it was kind of like, yeah, but it's probably one of those like full of teen drama, whatever. Um, but it's like, no, no, remember Buffy, remember Buffy. And I'm like, yeah, but that's like, you know, but, um, you know, one of the odds it'll happen twice. Exactly. Right? <laughs> um, but very similarly and very much in a different way, Rob Thomas sets up this world, sets up these characters and sets up this mystery in a way that yes, once again we're finding you know we're we're seeing a blonde girl in high school deal with high school things, but the mystery around her personally, um, as well as uh, the big mystery of like you know um, uh, who's who's doing the killings or whatever, um, who killed um, is it uh, uh, Lily, Kane. Lily Kane? Thank you, her friend, her best friend, right? Um, and all the things involved, it, it just, it just hooked me right from the beginning. And, uh, you know, I think that does that series, that mystery doesn't go till the season finale. It goes to, I think just the first season, but it's, man, that's a heck of a first season. And, uh, and even, you know, following up to that, it was an amazing show. Yeah, I, I came to that one late. Actually, I came to that one because of, of Mike Gordon. Uh, we, You're when welcome. The, uh, when, when the movie came out he had mentioned that he had backed the movie and how much he loved the show and i was like i i saw commercials but i had never watched it and he's like i have dvds here (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) so yeah uh, excellent excellently written acted just all around good show wonderful characters um you know and you know especially in, in what really works in that show is the relationship between the father and daughter. Yes. And I think that sells everything. And it was amazing who they had playing the father in that series. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Cause he, he was a comedy guy, you know, well, he yeah. was on that, uh, what comedy with, uh, David Spade. Just shoot, yeah, me. Just shoot me. Just shoot me. Yeah. Mm, that's right. The photographer, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And then, I've forgotten then that. later on, he was person of interest <laughs> and yeah, yeah, so many other things. Yeah. Oh, he's really good in person. Oh, yeah. I, I do like him there. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Michael Faulkner, you're up. I'm going to piggyback off of the uh, the one you had a couple back. That's uh, Battlestar Galactica. I want to go with the 2003 version um, with the mm. miniseries that started that off. And I, I so understand. say we all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I understand it's, it's, not, it's not quite what we were talking about with pilot episodes because um, – uh, well, I, I can't remember. Did they did they have the series already in mind when they wrote the the miniseries, or no? Was it just? A, I think they. I think, I think so. they tried to. They had pitched it, but I think it was if the miniseries does well, mm-hmm. you can continue. You, you can continue, and they, yeah. you know, it, it was it was a a good hook for me because I remembered I remembered the original Battlestar Galactica. You know, and I was like, okay, well, is this going to be as as you know cheesy, you know, high production, but still kind of cheesy, you know, pulpy sci-fi um, that, that we loved with that one? And it it very quickly established itself in its own right as its own kind of show, you know, with its own story. The basic premise is still there, but you know, everyone has different motivations than what they had previously, and it's it's its own universe, a little more gritty, but still you know still believable. Uh, so it, it was one that really really grabbed me and kept me going throughout the entire series. Um, it was. Go ahead. I was gonna say I was I was the opposite actually. I the first time I watched it, I hated the miniseries. <laughs> I, I'm with you, Bobby. That's I, what I was about to say I to you. I'm right there. It. I did not care for it at all. But the first episode of the series, of the series 33? 33? 33 minutes. Oh my oh. god! 
now but because of that and and staying with the show I, I like the I like the miniseries better now because I know these characters, but I was very put off from it watching it the first time. Yeah, um, and I can't point to any one particular thing, but it were just it's like what it's, this is not what I want. <laughs> this is not what I'm expecting. I guess. Yeah. Right. And and because I, I too was a fan of the the seventies version, but uh, but it, they grew on me. And I and again it goes back to the characters. I got to love those characters or some of those characters. And to where I'm willing to follow them wherever they want to go. I I was not a fan. Uh, I can tell you specifically, I was not a fan of the silence can be anyone storyline because I thought that was uh, kind of a cheap uh, drama uh, thing that they could put. And and I didn't care for the way they handled uh, Baltar in the beginning because to me they took one of the best villains in science fiction and they made him this weak wimpy guy and I just did not care for that he was not a strong character enough for me um and i still have some issues with the series as a whole but uh but man i can't man that that first episode uh 33 just rocked and uh, any 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 problems that i had with the miniseries i forgot completely because that was just that was great television right there yeah. yeah. Well, I think too the series started moving faster. The the mini series does have a lot of slow kind of burns, and I think they worked better when they didn't give us time to stop and think about things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, good, good, good pick though. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Bobby. This will probably be our last uh, last round anyway before we sort of what? have some I final thoughts and wrap up. Uh, but um, Mike Gordon, this um, has to be a three hour podcast tonight. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so what, Bobby? You talk a lot. That's crazy. Know, right? Like that's I uh, don't. All right. Know. Well, okay. Well, I'm going to pick one then here. Then I know you guys are going to love uh, Justify. Thank you. I knew you wouldn't let me down, pal. It's um, <laughs> that is a fantastic pilot. The opening of that pilot just grabs you from the you know from the moment he walks in and walks up to the guy and is basically says he says he says I I told you he says you told me to be out of town by noon how long do I have and he goes couple minutes and you know from there you know things are gonna go but we get a lot of information. There's a lot of setup. There's a lot of action. You get to know the characters. Certainly, you know, one of the greatest hero villain matchups, you know, with uh, Raylan on one side and Boyd on the other. Uh, just, yeah, it, I could rewatch that over and over again. Yeah. That's if I'm not so mistaken, good. the beginning of that episode uh, was released early, I think as a preview for people. Like it was sort of like a, five minute or whatever preview that you could see online or whatever and i knew after watching that that i was going to be hooked on this show and then you watch the pilot and not only is that scene um just as good if not better um but then the the end of the show is with uh, the scene between uh the three what would be the three leads right of the whole series (laughs) and uh and yeah it's it you know especially between raylan um and uh crowd boyd crowder like it just like you're like yeah that's i could see when they were filming it and they were originally going to again they were going to kill off boyd right and yeah, boyd was supposed to die and yeah. and after they went you know, they were like you know we, we we can't we can't do that <laughs> <laughs> and and thank goodness they didn't because uh that would have been a weird television after that so well 
I actually saw before it aired the, the the clip that I saw wasn't the opening where he shoots Tommy Bucks. The one I saw was right after he has met Ava, but Ava wasn't in the clip. It's when Dewey walks in, ah. and you have this bit. Dewey goes out to get the shotgun. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Rachel you're right. You're right. That's him. it. That you're right. That is it. Yes. Because yeah, because I remember seeing that clip before it was called Justified. Because originally it was going to be called Lawman. Yep. And they changed the name because Steven Seagal put out his show Lawman at the same time, <laughs> and they didn't want people to get confused. <laughs> and uh, but that scene that hooked me that scene with uh, with Raylan and, and Dewey, and you know, like racking the shotgun and you know break, busting Louis, you know Dewey's nose and all that stuff. So yeah, it was good stuff. And from there, I was I was hooked. That's yeah. awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, there's talk of uh, there's a new show FX is putting into production that is based on a book that stars Raylan Givens. There is talk that even though it's not technically a justified spinoff, it would there. There's talk of this new show that would have Raylan in it again. So I'm very excited about the possibility of seeing uh, uh, Timothy like, Elephant as Raylan Givens Harlan again. County Adventures, maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, no, it, it takes place in Chicago, I think. Oh, OK. But it's it's after Raylan has left Kentucky. Uh, there's there was another story that that uh, Elmore Leonard wrote because in the books Raylan is a much older guy than he was on the TV show. But this is like after that, you know, Raylan ends up on a gig in in Chicago and gets in the middle of some trouble there with some mobsters and stuff. Well, I I look forward to seeing that pilot. I hope that one's just as gripping, especially if it has Raylan in it. You got me. Um. Uh. All right. So. To wrap up, we've talked a lot about pilots, what what grabbed us and what is necessary. Um, just to wrap it up, maybe in a in a in a couple line, a couple word sentence or a couple line sentence. Um, Mike Faulkner, we'll start with you. What what makes a good pilot? It I think it has to lay the groundwork of, of the premise of the show, so it's something that's engaging to the audience. It has to be able to establish the characters in a uh, in an engaging way. I don't want to say likable because there's a lot of characters you don't like uh, in some of these pilots, um, but it, you know it, it has to kind of to throw that hook so that it, it brings you back. Uh, and if it does that successfully, if it, if it makes you want to see more of this story and these characters, and it has succeeded, at least in my opinion, Bobby. I would agree with that. I, I think some some of the ones on my list, not only is it the characters, but there's either a moment or moments that make you want to come back and see more, whether it's uh, like the, the beginning of the newsroom with Jeff Daniels giving that speech that really grabs you or at the end of the shield, which, you know, is a, has seemed like a fairly relative, you know, normal cop show until Vic Mackey murders the other cop on his team. You know, that's a hook that makes you go, holy crap, I I don't know what's going on now. I thought one thing, here's this thing that's got me. I've got to come back and see what happens. So if they can do that, if they can make you care within that 42 minutes of screen time and hook you, then I think they they can do well. Mike? Pretty much what these guys said because, you know, the ones I've, I've been thinking of that are on my list are Game Changers are ones that, you know, make you then think about what did I just watch? Do, you know, I've got to come back and watch this. You know, I'm thinking like off the top of my head, the premiere, uh, the pilot for Hill Street Blues, where they kill, they literally kill at the very end two main characters 
off of the show and of course when the series is renewed for a full series <laughs> these characters are in the hospital they survived but it's it brings you back and it it makes you want to go okay this is a chemistry i want to see the the season premiere the series premiere cheers where they introduce diane to the fold and you know these are established characters in the thing mary tyler moore where she goes to the newsroom as the in, this is you know you think it's mary from dick van dyke you know but pretty much and she becomes a news works in the newsroom and i hate spunk kid you know <laughs> which is you know it's all great stuff but you know there's many many th- reasons to watch it and it's something that you want to come back to. That's what makes a good pilot. And sometimes it's even not the same actors in the roles from the pilot to the regular series, too. Oh, uh, yeah. That, uh, we didn't even get into that. You know? No, no, no. That's uh, that's crazy, too. But, yeah, you're right. Um, uh, that can be – yeah, that's really weird to see when you see those pilots that didn't air and uh, that, was, that sold the show and you see some of the actors – that are playing different roles. It's like, that's weird. Cause uh, you, you know, sometimes you like, I don't know how anybody else could be in that part. Um, for <laughs> me, the perfect pilot, uh, I guess you could figure out cost $8 million. And uh, the very opening scene starts with Kirsten Bell and Ted dance at Wolf three, five, nine. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sold. Let's watch the series right now. <laughs> <laughs> See right there. Boom. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you just, you, just like me, you've been wanting to see Kristen Bell in a Starfleet uniform for no, years. That's a whole different. That's a whole different discussion. Uh, that's for yes. But that's after not dark. on TV, you know. Yeah, that's for ESO after dark. Uh, it's definitely more of a streaming service type of thing. Um, but no, I, you're right, and it has to set up a good premise. Has to show you like something different, something we haven't seen before, or elements that we've seen before, but maybe that are familiar, but in a different way. So we're looking at them from a different point of view or you know there's a twist involved and of course television characters 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 you have to and the actors playing those characters you really need to like uh sell us on those and and uh and it's amazing how many times that works and it's it's amazing how many times it doesn't work uh you know for everyone that we list here there's like a billion that don't make it and you're like Mm -hmm. how can they get it wrong because it doesn't seem like it's rocket science, and yet it's very, you know, sometimes it's like capturing lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Well, it's also, a, and, and TV is, a, is very different. If you notice, most of the stuff we talked about is over 10 years. So we didn't mention too many things that aired this year, last year. Right. You know, As we talked about, it's a because, different animal right, now. Right. Because these days, you're not, you know, like a lot of times, especially in the 70s and 80s, pilots were movies. You know, because they would a lot of times they would air on Sunday night and the show would air on the first episode after the pilot on Monday. They were giving you that one two punch. Whereas, like you said now at the the beginning here, a lot of times it's like, okay, you got 13 episodes off your pitch Mm -hmm. and you can you don't have to just sell us with the first episode. So TV, I mean, networks still do pilots to a degree. But, it, yeah, it's definitely a different animal than it used to be. Yeah, and pilot season isn't just for fall shows anymore either. No, no. no. It's, yeah, it's a whole different game. Well, yeah. that's, a, that's a, again, a different discussion. But thank you guys for joining us in this one. It was really fun to talk about our favorite pilots. Uh, we're going to be right back as we get uh, creative. Oh, wait. I th- here's my list real quick before we get <laughs> <laughs> I can't watch this. I can't watch this. 
can't watch this. I can't watch this. Hey, everybody. Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. Mark Hoppus, the bass player for Blink-182, back on June 23rd, he announced that he has cancer. Uh, he did not say what type or the stage at diagnosis. Uh, but over the 4th of July weekend, he released a picture of himself on social media, rocking a bald head and with the caption, The Cancer Haver wishes you all a very happy 4th of July weekend. He says that chemo has been pretty rough, but he's feeling a little bit better, so we're glad of that, and we hope that he recovers uh, soon and completely. Good news from Brian Setzer. Uh, who's also had a health problem. He is releasing his first solo album in seven years on August 27th. It's called Gotta Have the Rumble. That is a reference both to his collection of hot rods and bikes, but also to the fact that he is again working with a big amp that gives him that rumble. Uh, He was battling tinnitus and trying to work with a little amp that just didn't cut it, and uh, this ultimately took him out of action, canceled his Christmas tour a couple of years ago, Kept him on the sidelines, so we are glad that he is back. You can check out track listings, uh, ordering information, and stream uh, the first single at briansetzer.com. It will be out CD and digital, black vinyl, and limited edition blue vinyl. And something else that I don't have a review for you yet. I hope to soon because I really want to check it out, and you may want to as well. Questlove has a documentary out. It's a out in theaters and streaming on Hulu. It is called The Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Couldn't Be Televised. It's about the Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969. Six free concerts attended by 300,000 people featuring Stevie Wonder, Gladys Knight and the Pips, B.B. King, Nina Simone, The Fifth Dimensions, and tons, tons more. Uh, 40 hours of never-before-seen footage um, was used for this. Um, interviews with artists who played this, the festival as well as artists now. From what I hear, it is tremendous, definitely uh, an Oscar contender in the documentary category. So very excited about this. I know people that have seen it and they are totally just psyched about it. So you check that out and uh, I hope to have a review for you soon. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. Check out the blog at esonetwork.com and also at iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com That's it for this week. We'll catch you next time. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello everyone. Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. (laughs) Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the Creative Outlet segment. For this week's segment, we actually thought we'd do something a little bit different. And, you know, we have Mike Gordon back with us, of course, because he's been with us for the whole show. But he is a creator. I, I, I kind of live here. You, you do. You have your little bunk in the you know, side of the station. But it's kind of fun because you're doing the Kickstarter for Tiki Zombie. And I thought it'd be kind of cool is what is Kickstarter and how do people go to start one and what kind of projects do they do it on? Because we've had so many different 
writers and artists over the last six months since we started the creative outlet segment on our show that, you know, people ask me, so what is Kickstarter other than a place just to give money? You know, what does it do? What, how does it help these individuals get their name out and such? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good questions. Because yeah, I don't think we've ever really um, defined or delved into Kickstarter on a deeper level. Um, I think we just assumed that people knew what it was. Um, But uh, you know, there's a lot of crowdfunding. Uh, Crowdfunding is when, you know, Folks ask for money to uh, sponsor a specific project or something, and then uh, and then people online, you know, donate. Um, that's why uh, we so, love our patrons so much. Exactly. So there's, yeah, that's Patreon is a is a prime example of a crowdfunding effort, as well as Kickstarter, Indiegogo is another one. Uh, GoFundMe is one that's very popular as well, and they all have their unique. Uh, differences and there's some others out there too but those those are the main ones and they all have unique differences about what they're what they support and what they don't and what the best one to use for so yes if you've got a creative project out there um you do need to look around and see what uh works for you what works for your project the best uh kickstarter is very popular it's probably the most popular as far as starting i mean it literally like means it helps you like kickstart a project so if you're if you need cash uh for uh producing a project uh whether it's a film a comic uh there's so so many other things that they do as well a, a game um tv pilot you know that kind of thing they uh this is where you can get money to do that and, so it's mostly for creative endeavors though mostly Absolutely. Yes, yes. It is uh, uh, gadgets, events, spaces, ideas, experiences. uh, They all can be used on Kickstarter. They can all be funded through Kickstarter. Um, Now, uh, one thing that Kickstarter is not, it's not a fundraiser for charity. Um, Projects that uh, uh, on Kickstarter, you can, if you're going to donate to a charity or cause, that's on that's on your decision, but Kickstarter is not used for charity or for causes per se. The, the funds raised on Kickstarter must go towards facilitating a project outlined by the creator on the project page. So it's not like a general, like here, here's some money I'm going to throw at you and you can do with what you want. It's more like, no, no, I've got a specific project that I'm trying to fund. This is the budget for said project. And this is how much I need in order to help make it happen. So would it be like a Shark Tank type thing where, you know, where people go to places for money? Or is that more of a GoFundMe type thing? Uh, That would be, well, GoFundMe is used mainly for charities. So you don't expect, when you do it, when you support someone through GoFundMe, you don't expect anything back. Uh, That you're just doing that to help the cause. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. So you expect uh, something in return for Kickstarter, basically. Yes, but it's not it's not seen as an investment. It's not like you're an owner of the project if you invest money. So you're not investing. You're just the way I look at it is you're pre-ordering. Um, you know, so uh like for the comic um that I'm doing, I'm looking at it as as revenue rather than um, investment is is sort of to get the project funded, uh, and it's 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 kind of like one of those business things that 
you, you, uh, creators are not usually like myself are not like really great, great business people because <laughs> it takes two different sides of the brain, but um, there is a difference. So, uh, so yes, the way I look at it is I'm making Tiki zombie number four. This new issue is going to be made no matter what, um, but it can be made faster if the people who are interested in it pre-order the book and pay me first and then therefore I can use that money directly to pay the people that I need to to help get this made so uh, and then send it out once it's done Um, there are uh, lots of different independent comics that are doing the same thing and they're basically looking at it as this is how this is their basically their storefront for publishing their books you know they they know their audience their audience every time they've got a new book the audience goes hey we want this book and we order it here and uh it gets mailed out as soon as it's done gotcha gotcha because i know we've supported quite a few of the kickstarters that have popped up on the network you know over the years and then we've also had you know recently over the six months we've decided to start doing creative outlet to help creators who are doing kickstarters help get the word out about their projects absolutely and and we should point out too because people who listen probably also know this you don't have to have a kickstarter to be part of to be featured on the creative outlet Oh no, not uh, at no, all. We if are you trying just have to help. A project, you know. Right. If anything that uh you have out there that you're, you know, producing that you want um to let people know about, we are more than happy to have you on the creative outlet. That segment is for and it's sort of like Kickstarter. It's for specific projects. Uh rather than, you know, a spotlight on an individual. It's more like, hey, this is a book, a movie. So a project that I've got going on that I want people to know about. And, uh, and that's why we developed the creative outlet so that they can come on here, talk about it real quick under 10 minutes, boom, done. People know about it and they can go and, and use the show link, uh, the link in the show notes to, uh, to, to get to, to that uh, project and support it. And I'm very happy to say that ESO has gotten a few of the projects over the, the hump, as we like to say. We have a pretty good success rate. Um, yeah. I don't know if we just have to happen to pick really good popular projects, uh, but uh, um, and a lot of times, you know, like you said, um, we'll help support them personally. You know, I mean, actually, anytime I, I do help support a number of projects personally, I think uh, I've been a, a customer, if you will, of Kickstarter for over 10 years now and supported well over 30, 40 projects. Um, so I'm very familiar with one side of it, <laughs> but uh, I'm getting more familiar with uh, this side as well. And uh, and for those people who are looking for the Tiki Zombie Kickstarter, it's coming. It's not going to be on the 10th as I, I uh, originally scheduled it for, but um, it's going to be pretty soon. It's in the next week or so. So so keep looking out for it on Kickstarter for that. But um yeah, uh, those people who have questions about Kickstarter, um, I don't claim to be an expert. Uh, but, um, certainly I'm willing to help and, and point people in the right direction if they have any qu- specific questions for this one or, you know, any other crowdfunding source that's out there. I've, un- I've used a few of them myself for various reasons. Um, and, uh, I think they're a great way to form a community, um, and have direct contact with the people who are interested in your project. Like for, for me, it's a direct connection for me and my readers. So there's no, 
there's no middleman. There's no store. There's no diamond. There's no distributor. It's just, you know, me and the, and the customer kind of like it is for at a convention. Um, and, uh, and I like that directness of it. Um, I mean, it means a lot more work for me because I have to do everything. Uh, but, uh, um, that's something I'm pretty much used to anyway. But yeah, I do totally understand about doing the full project from, you know, you know, the end of producing it and putting it together and, you know, then going out and marketing it because you don't have a diamond or a, you know, a big, you know, publishing company behind you. And right. that's what Kickstarter's great for. Because some people just go through Kickstarter and look at different projects to see what interests them in or anything, which is pretty awesome. Depending on the topic, depending on the artist or the writer, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a it's a very especially for us independent guys. Uh, it's you know with um, with Diamond and the stores and it, it's there's so many roadblocks and. Look, it's not an easy road. There's nothing that guarantees that if you start something on Kickstarter, you're gonna get, you're gonna meet your goal. Um, and that's another thing you have to be aware of. With Kickstarter, it's all or nothing. So you set a goal of what your budget is and how much you want to make. Um, and if you don't make that goal within your certain t- campaign time, you don't get any money. Uh, there are some that do, but um, uh, there are. Um, the Indiegogo is one that gives you no matter, you know, how much money uh, is, is raised, you get it all. Now I say all, but of course, all these, all these places take a percentage, they take a cut. So uh, you're going to get, um, you know, they, they are the facilitator of these uh, donations or, or orders, if you will. Uh, so they're going to take a cut as well, but uh, yeah, Kickstarter, it's all or nothing. So it, it, it makes it kind of stressful. <laughs> when you're putting it together as well as you know when you're when you're working on the campaign because it's like man if i don't get it then then what exactly exactly and there's a couple folks who haven't hit their goals and they've had you know they've been close like maybe within a 100 bucks or so and they've had to all the money was just never taken out of their you know patrons or whatever you want to call them folks and so they had to find other ways to get their projects out there yep or some some people do relist their projects too yes yes i've seen we i've certainly seen that happen sure but it is a you know it is a um you know you're out there in the public i uh kickstarter is a big is, is a big pond and you're out there going hey uh you know support my book and and if you don't make it you know that yeah, that's 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 on record <laughs> that you didn't make your goal so well, exactly uh, so, so yeah. it's a little bit intimidating exactly but it's you know there is stuff out there and you know what you literally can you know if you want do what you do. The, the world's your oyster go for it you know basically and if you want to check out more check out kickstarter.com there's and there's I'm sure there's blogs about how to get started on kickstarter what to do for kickstarter so definitely check out all those different ways. I'm sure there's even YouTube videos. So please check it out. Let's take a quick break now and let's close up the show. Welcome to a geek girl's take. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, this geek girl is talking about the show servant season one. I had no idea what I was getting into with servant when I decided to watch it on Apple TV. It looked spooky and it has Rupert Grint in it. So I was willing to give it a try. It's produced by M. Night Shyamalan. So I figured it would be weird or spooky in some way as well. The first season was super intriguing. The show focuses on a husband and wife who have lost a child. 
They have a nanny move in since the wife still hasn't come to terms with the loss and they've been using a realistic baby doll to help her cope. The nanny, Leanna, seems like an average, normal girl, very religious, and seems like she was somewhat sheltered where she came from. But then after a couple of days, the doll turns into a real baby. The husband and wife's brother are both very freaked out by this and trying to figure out where this baby came from. Did she bring him into the house? Did she steal him? What's going on? But other weird stuff also starts happening in the house as well, like the husband's taste goes away. He's a chef, so that's somewhat important to him. As well as other things, as we learn how the baby died and who Leanna really is. I'm super intrigued to see what happens in season two of this show and learn more about what's going on. Because while a little slow paced, Servant has a really in-depth story that makes you want to know what is going on and whether it's all mystical or if it's something else. It's also filmed really, really cool. So I've been enjoying it. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Hey there listeners. We come to the close of the show, but before we get out of here, let's give a little shout out to our friends at inked marketing. Inked has a new series out that they're promoting called crit crit is a superhero comic based on dungeons and dragon style role-playing games. It is action centered around a group of friends playing the game. So each panel is a result of a roll of the dice. The crit team is made of a group of friends that gain powers after an accident at work. Our story unfolds as they explore their powers and the challenges that go with them. Grab your copy at inked.pub slash crit4, C-R-I-T-4. Check it out, folks. It's pretty awesome. Uh, definitely check it out. They got a Kickstarter going, so please help support. We talked about Kickstarters in our last segment, so definitely this is one sponsored by Ink Marketing, and it's going to be very interesting. So let's close up the show now, and let's thank our guests for being here tonight. Of course... Mr. Michael Faulkner, thank you as always. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Anything you want to shout out about? Hey, I'll, I'll continue to always shout out about my site, Creative Criticality. It's at creativecriticality.net. Among other things I do there, I have the timestamps projects uh, since 2014. Oh, my goodness. It's been a long time. God, you're getting old, man. <laughs> I've been watching episodes of Doctor Who from the very beginning of the franchise. As we talked about earlier with the Unearthly, Unearthly Child and Rose um, and and talking about them every week on the blog. I think I'm up to uh, the Torchwood series of Miracle Day right now. So, oh, I am. Um, you're, that's a uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, <laughs> We're not going <laughs> to. I'm powering, powering through it. <laughs> so anyway, you can find that and so much more at creativecriticality.net. Definitely. Oh, you poor soul. <laughs> <laughs> and Bobby Nash, thank you, my friend. Oh, my pleasure. It's always great to come on here and talk cool, skeeky stuff with you guys. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Well, actually, um, 
miracle of miracles after a year and a half of being at home i have two count them two conventions this week wow um, I, this, this is this is the the result of me not paying attention to my calendar when i agree to do things um i'm doing the virtual imaginarium this weekend so i have panels virtually on Friday and Sunday of this week. Uh, the Imaginarium live show is in Kentucky, in Lexington, but I'll be doing virtual panels. And then on Saturday uh, in Brazelton, Georgia, just uh, not not far north of Atlanta, I'll be at Spidey's Comics and Collectibles one day show. Oh, uh, awesome. Be, yeah, awesome. so, yeah. So uh, t- 10 to five, I think is in Brazelton right off, it's right off of Interstate 85. So easy to find. And I'm excited. It's been, it's like I said, it's been a year and a half since I've like set up a table anywhere. So basically so, you're going to a con in your backyard. So it's great. Pretty much. Yeah. It's close to home. I love that. So, you know, and, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to that. So just to get out and be around people again would be nice and, and uh, kind of get my feet. Like I said, it's been a year and a half. I'm, 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 I've gone through the con DTs already. So, yeah, I'm excited. That's awesome. That is awesome. And you know what? It's it's con season almost. You know, as we like mm-hmm. to say. And you know, we're all gearing up for Dragon Con, and we're all getting ready to see what else is going to be coming after. So yeah. definitely, I'm going to be very curious to see the turnout you have and everything. Yeah, me too. Uh, this is this will be their first show. So I'm, I've known George, uh, who's running it. I think Dutch, uh, uh, who we know from other shows is helping with, uh, dealer tables and stuff. And my friend George, who I've known forever is, is putting it on and, uh, it should be fun. Like I said, it's, uh, Brazilton's a small town, but like I said, it's right off 85. So it's not hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, just, a, it's just, a, it's a few miles past the mall of Georgia. So not too, too bad. And, uh, so yeah, so I'm hoping we'll have a good good turnout, and um, it'll be the first of my uh, stops for for the month. I have uh, Jordan Con the week after uh, okay. here in Atlanta as well. So cool, that is awesome, man. Thank you, thank you as always. Mm-hmm. Now get back in the queue. No, get back in the- <laughs> <laughs> and Mr. Mike, we made it through another one, my friend. We did, and as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, yeah, I got a, it's a more of a tribute. Uh, we, uh, today we found out the sad news that we lost, uh, producer, director, filmmaker, Richard Donner. Uh, this guy, man, uh, started off as an actor very early in his career, but quickly went to the other side of the camera and thank goodness that he did. Uh, he worked in television for a long time. Uh, classic directed, gave us classic episodes of twilight zone, including nightmare at 20,000 feet. Uh, he did Man from uncle get smart banana splits. Uh, he did, uh, so much, you know, Maverick. He did a lot of television then he finally made the move to the big screen where I think his first movie on the big screen was The Omen, which is a pretty incredible first debut. Uh, shortly after that, he gives us the Superman movies, which, I mean, do I need to say anything more about those? I mean, they're, I mean, come on, they're, they're legendary. That alone gets him a pass, like for all geeks to go right through the front line, right? Uh, the Lethal Weapon movies, uh, Scrooge, Goonies, Lady Hawk. Uh, he worked uh, until I think he was even rumored to be doing uh, directing Lethal Weapon 5 if I'm not mistaken um, and he even did a little bit of comic work uh, His men- uh, he mentored 
Jeff Johns uh, and Jeff actually worked with him on some uh, storylines for the Superman action comics, last some Krypton storyline. Um, so he did a little bit of comic work too. So he, he really was um, sort of a, a jack of all trades in a lot of ways, a great storyteller. And uh, man, he left his legacy. So, um, so yeah, we can, there's a lot of cool, cool stuff you can watch this weekend to honor Richard Donner. Yeah. And, and although he's, he's not directly, I don't think he's directly re- involved. Uh, they are in the process of doing a Superman 76 comic yep. that would right. pick yep. up from his movie. Um, I know our, our friend Wilfredo Torres is doing the art on that. And what little I've seen so far looks gorgeous, but it's, it, it has that same feel of the, of, of his movie. That's mm. awesome. You know, that is awesome. As long as Richard Pryor's character is not involved. In- <laughs> <laughs> Richard Pryor, I'll take him over Neutron Man anytime. Oh, yeah, good, <laughs> good point. Touche, touche. Um, over the weekend, Judy and I watched an amazing movie. Um, we actually um, spent the 4th of July instead of going to see fireworks and stuff. You know, we can go into our backyard and hear the people shooting off the fireworks and everything. You know, it's just it wasn't worth it for us so we actually watched an amazing amazing documentary over the weekend called the summer of soul um it is the story of the harlem uh, music festival that took place in 90 same summer as woodstock 1969 but nobody has ever heard of it because it they filmed it they you know did they filmed the, the whole concert and but Nobody wanted to touch it for years and years and years, and it's finally come to light, and it's finally been made into a, an amazing documentary uh, featuring you know some very amazing artists who were in their prime in 1969. You had B.B. King. You had Nina Simone. You had The Fifth Dimension. You had Cy and the Family Sloan. You had... Um, you know, you also had, you know, Stevie Wonder and it's, you know, it's just, it's just amazing who it's like almost like a who's who of African-American music at the time. And it was beautiful. And it was also heartbreaking at the same time that it wasn't better known and that it's been basically sitting in a closet for 50 years. Nobody wanted to touch anything about it, but you could definitely see it on Hulu for free. If you have a subscription Very nice. Okay. and so definitely um, check it out and it's two hours long and you will be blown away by this and them talking to people who were at the festivals, even some of the, you know, celebrities who were there, you know, taking place in it or watching themselves on the screen. And I was so young back then. And it was, it was just, it was just amazing. And, you know, just definitely, if you get, you know, a chance to see this, to be educated, it's once again, part of America's hidden history that, you know, is now finally coming out and it's definitely worth checking out folks. Definitely. What's it called again? It is called the summer of soul. Summer of soul. Yes, and it is it's it's just amazing, um, you know. Definitely worth checking out if you have Hulu, or if not, it's also at the theaters this weekend too. So you can also, if you dare, go to the theaters. You know, huh. do that. And speaking of going to the theaters, we are going to be back again next week, and we actually have a new movie to talk about, folks. What? A new Marvel movie. 
not just Loki or you know you know Falcon and Winter Soldier or WandaVision. No, no, folks. We have finally we're getting into Phase Four of the Marvel Universe, and we are looking at Black Widow next week. So it should be a ton of fun. And we'll have our movie folks up here to talk about it. And, you know, I haven't decided yet if I'm going to just do it on Disney Plus or if I'm actually going to actually try wandering to the theater. You know, I just, you know, I don't know if I could bring myself to spend 32 bucks on Disney Plus <laughs> to watch the movie. Um, but, you know, definitely worth checking out. Um, and hopefully everybody will join us for that. Of course, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys. Feedback at earthstation1.com is our email address. And folks, please tell folks about us. You know, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, because we love doing the show. And we constantly want, you know, more and more people to find out about. And I think we've been doing some pretty damn good shows lately. You know, you know, I've been saying that for 12 years now almost. But, you know, it's it's just amazing, you know, that we've been doing this this long and I'm proud of each and every one of you guys out there. And just remember that, you know, and we want to thank you guys for listening. As we always like to say, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We are powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. Yeah, we're not too proud to beg. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber. Mr. Mike Gordon, of course, Michael Faulkner, and Bobby Nash. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you here next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Stay safe. Please get vaccinated and hug your loved ones, and we will see you soon. Peace. Cheers. And we're done. Boom. Yay. Once again, surrounded by mics. Of course. <laughs> of course. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.